Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where we sleep in the filth we've created. I'm your host, the self-styled Valentino Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of the Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Your big cuddly teddy bear, Henry <laughs> Gilbert. And who do we have on the line? The woman you respect, Hallie Plaguey. And today's episode is Homer's Night Out. <laughs> Today's episode aired on March 25th, 1990, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, Pretty Woman is number one at the box office, while Driving Miss Daisy wins Best Picture... Uh, at the Oscars in the year where Do the Right Thing wasn't even nominated mm. for all the biggest awards. And most importantly, though, we say goodbye to Gordon Shumway as the final episode of <laughs> ALF airs in a giant cliffhanger. I'm saluting ALF right now. <laughs> and the uh, made-for-TV movie Project ALF would not cover any of this stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sets up that, yes, the okay, so the, the cliffhanger was... He, Alf, or Gordon Shumway, is trying <laughs> to uh, head back home as one of his old buddies is finally coming to pick him up. But just as the government arrives and they catch Alf and it's to be continued and they thought they were going to get another season, but they didn't, leaving many a child to, like me... To be terrified for my good friend Alf that he was about to be, like, kidnapped by the government and likely killed. And so then when the Project Alf movie came out, it showed that he was captured by the government, but... It didn't turn out so bad for him. And he made a bunch of new government friends because no actor from the original <laughs> ALF wanted to come back. It's true. And can you believe there was a time in this world where ALF and Seinfeld coexisted on NBC? Oh, my God. Uh, very, ALF, very early Seinfeld, to be fair. Yeah, but like uh, the, as, first as, season. As Seinfeld began, ALF was uh, going away. It's sunrise, sunset. <laughs> ALF, was passing, ALF was passing the torch to an even like a show of equal value, I yes, would say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so also, the story... I I love from the making of the last episode of Alf was that the second the last episode was done, the actor who played the father on the show, he had his bags packed already in his uh, dressing room. He immediately went backstage, left the soundstage, and never returned and did not say goodbye to anybody. He was just done with Alf. And the, <laughs> the creator, is, he just keeps trying to make Alf happen. Yeah. Like, he's never given up on Alf. He's the voice of Alf, the creator of Alf. I think uh, maybe some of the puppeteering as well. I think so, yeah. yeah. Sorry, this is a real Alphathon yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> 
We grew. I mean, it felt like uh, I think Callie. Uh, she's younger than us. I think she lived in a post-Alf world. Yes. But Alf was part of our childhood. I think it was only um, maybe on for four years, but it felt like my entire uh, life as a child. Alf was there for me. And we had those Alf cartoons when the show was over, making him even mm. more kid-friendly for us. Plus, I feel like our Alf toy ownership coasted right into our Bart toy ownership. Like it, it went straight from Alf to Bart. But it's interesting. I did grow up like uh, watching, you know, stuff like The Simpsons from episodes before I was supposed to be watching them, stuff like that. And so I have like a knowledge of Alf, like Alf is in my periphery, but I never overlapped with Alf, you know, Mm -hmm. for a short run. It did have quite the uh, lasting impact on (laughs) the psyche of America. He had quite a few Bart style catchphrases like no problem. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can I eat your cat? And life's a beach. (laughs) Uh, But I I guess talking about movies, too, I've only seen clips from Pretty Woman. I've never seen the entire thing. uh, I've heard heard it's good. Mm -hmm. It's a nice film. I've never seen the whole thing. I have never seen the whole thing either, but I have read Pygmalion, which is... get the gist of it then, yeah. You know, I know the the whole idea. (laughs) And the Driving Miss Daisy Oscar win, not the most memorable film. (laughs) Speaking of do the right thing, I think the Oscars did the wrong thing. Well, they they always do. Yeah. I mean, well, except this year. I was trying Parasite. to be clever. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> Parasite did win. That was a good, an Oscar good time. I, I forget. Uh, I'm sorry for forgetting who this was. I'm sure someone in the comments will let me know. Like, one of the women presenters that night gave one of the awards and then was like, oh, and by the way, it's a total disgrace that Do the Right Thing is not nominated. Oh, wow. It was like Meryl Streep right. or somebody. No, I think it was Kim Basinger. I think it was Kim Basinger oh, who man. did that. Like, very unexpected. Wow. I, yeah. I didn't know that. I uh, love to see it. Yeah. I should say, at least in the supporting actor category they nominated Danny Aiello that was the one oh I thought I thought you were going to say Dan Aykroyd because he also got a supporting actor uh, nominee I I was just talking about the only uh, person really nominated for well it got it got script it did get screenplay but I mean of all of the best picture nominees from that year like I feel like the only other one I remember is Glory and that's because they played it in my school like in middle school a few times you had to remember the war of northern aggression that's why (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, Glory was made to be shown in your classrooms, but Do the Right Thing, it was one of many overlookings that uh, Spike Lee had to deal with. But anyway, hey, welcome back, Callie. Callie's third appearance. I think you were on uh, Twisted World of March Simpson season eight and then Lard of the Dance season nine. I was. I'm Glad that you guys wanted me back for a third time. Yes, and uh, as folks may know you from uh, your work on GameSpot, you're the reviews editor, correct? I am. That's good. I guess by the time this comes out, everybody knows how awesome Animal Crossing is, but I (laughs) I enjoyed your review. Thank you so much. I it was uh, like I told you guys before we started recording. It's um it was a hard one to write, just given everything that's been going on. But it's also a game that I have been enjoying escaping <laughs> to. I did a kind of a different approach to the video review, so I had fun with that. I got to just be excited about the game and talk about different things I liked. I just really quickly want to talk about my villager walking in and seeing my <laughs> villager singing a song to himself. Oh, was, that's so cute. I actually. I was really close to tears. It was 
incredible. I watched him for 30 minutes singing a song to himself. We need moments of beauty. Square. We need moments of beauty in a time like this. Exactly. And that moment of beauty comes in the form of a cow villager singing. I've said this on Twitter before, but with everything that's happening now, uh, everyone simply must become a gamer. Yes. Yeah. There's no uh, There's no excuse now. You have to become a gamer. Yep. My, my brother is uh, in the other room of the house playing Arkham City for some reason. Oh, oh nice. Good choice. Uh, my dad's been playing Warzone. It's just wow. all over the house. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, it's bringing families together. Uh, <laughs> also, though, Callie, you're, you know, we usually, uh, when we have you on, we talk about how you're younger than us, but so you probably weren't watching season one when it first aired and, and Bart Mania was high. But what is your history with this episode? I've seen every episode up to a certain season uh, many times. So I'm sure the first time I saw this episode, I was pretty young. I just love Homer's speech at the end so much, and that has stuck out to me. <laughs> I remember the first time seeing it just being really stricken by it. I think it's the kind of episode that, you know, I don't I don't think about it affecting my life directly, but I'm sure it's one of those things that is in the back of my mind shaped my consciousness of like my role in the world. It's funny that everyone starts crying at the end, but I I, I really does it does stick with you and it's really sweet. And I I really love episodes where Homer is being, you know, a cluelessly good husband or a cluelessly good father and Marge's reaction to that speech just gets me every time. Hmm. Yeah, that's sweet. I somehow remember this one almost I think more than other season one episodes and I don't know why. I hmm. think maybe as a kid it was like interesting because it was like very sexy and sex related and you know ribald on the fox network but i think in my head as a kid what homer did was far more lewd like this is a much lewder show than as an adult it's like this could be on nickelodeon yeah yeah it's so tame he doesn't do he doesn't i mean i was watching it for this recording and i was like huh i don't know if i would be mad <laughs> it it seems uh i mean even on the commentary that they recorded in 2001 they're like what's so crazy about this picture why why does everybody care uh no you know this one is kind of i barely remember watching it i definitely watched it live but i mean the storyline and stuff was kind of lost on me i suppose but uh as as a six-year-old but <laughs> i a uh, seven-year-old but i still enjoyed it uh as as a story i guess and seeing i guess i like seeing bart with his uh, spy camera that was the thing that made me uh, where's my spy camera where's my spy <laughs> that got me though that spoke to me the most as a child the bart bit stuck out but yeah. uh this is ripped from the headlines so yes. 1988 it's uh, the Rob Lowe sex scandal, which he really lived down and recovered from and bounced back from. Who knows what would happen to him today? But well, so in, in case uh, listeners don't know, that sex scandal was to briefly explain it. Rob Lowe, famous star of the Brad Pack at the time, uh, he I believe was at the Atlanta uh, Democratic Convention that was going on. Yeah, he was uh, campaigning for Dukakis. It was yes. the night before. And uh, should I tell the story? Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. He was videotaped. I, I assume with his consent, having sex with two women uh, that night mm. and one of them turned out to be underage. I think the story goes that she was 16 but the age of consent there was 14. In Georgia, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, pretty fucked up. That was yeah. that age of consent was uh, rose a bit later but yeah. I mean technically he served no crime but also was like this guy's a creep. So, yes. but I think he lived it down by, you know, having a good attitude about it or making mm. fun of himself. He appeared on SNL in like mm. a skit with the church lady. He did all the things yeah. a famous man can do to get away That's with very important yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and so uh that it was a viral thing that got all passed around and everybody's like oh we're gonna watch the roblo sex tape or you 
can buy the Roblo sex tape. Like now we know so much about revenge porn and all these things that it feels like so wrong back then that we all just accepted like, yeah, we're going to watch the sex tape and we're all just like to enjoy it. <laughs> and it uh, it's pretty gross to look back. I on. think uh, Al Goldstein, the guy from uh, Screw Magazine, yes. <laughs> bought the tape, got the rights, being big quotes to the tape to sell the tape. So it was being sold. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's no. Wild. No, the uh, the clip I I <laughs> before I've seen a clip of him saying yeah. like we got the tape, it's Rob Lowe, you can see his and then he describes uh all the way all the things you can see. But yes, it was a thing that got traded around. It was, you know, an early version of a viral uh sensation before there was social media to share all those things. And so, you know, lots of sitcoms made, you know, story or comedies made reactions to the Rob Lowe tape trading, and this uh Simpsons episode was uh, a very quaint version of that where Homer dances with a belly dancer in place of a uh, celebrity sex tape. Uh, and another interesting thing, well, actually, the uh, the Rob Lowness of it, I looked up uh, the writer of this episode, John Vitti, a uh, comment he made about this was that uh, he says, this script was a harder one for him to write than Bart the Genius, which was his previous script. And he is kind of disappointed with this episode. And he said that six years later, when he was working on the Larry Sanders show, he wrote basically the same plot episode uh, inspired by Rob Lowe as, quote, I wanted a do-over. And uh, that episode is uh, Hank's Sex Tape, is the name of the episode that BD wrote. And uh, the plot of it is that on the Larry Sanders show, he has his sidekick, Hey Now Hank, uh, played by Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it it makes this a weird episode to go back to. It was one of my favorites before uh, when I was uh, more ignorant. Uh, But um, now watching it with fresh eyes, it's a kind of fucked up episode where Hank wants to be a orange juice salesman but uh in commercials and then co-workers discover his secret sex tape and start passing it around and everybody just like watches it in the office and they are all like laughing and I'm like, well, that's illegal right there. Like that, there, right there is a crime. Uh, and the joke in the episode is that once people see it, Hank has a, they're impressed with the size of Hank's genitals and everybody treats him differently, hmm. but they are able to get back the sex tape and prevent it from going viral. That's the the plot of the episode. So that was VD doing his, uh, his Rob Lowe thing twice. I wonder what was disappointing about this episode. Cause I, I like this episode. <laughs> You know, I think um, he he didn't say why, but I think it's it was earlier in his writing career. Like he hadn't worked on a lot of shows before, so he probably just he only sees the flaws in it. I, I think, think okay, is... I relate very hard to that. So <laughs> never mind, I understand. I think that this is just the second episode of television he's ever written. Right, Bart I the think, Genius was I, the first. I think you are correct. Yeah. Yes. So, wow. You know, before we get into the episode, I did have one little thing planned here, which is you know, for most of these episodes, we've been doing uh, little biographies on uh, on new writers or directors. But uh, these are two repeated writers and directors on this one. But I did want to use this as a chance to talk about one of the uh, 
the overlooked women of the Simpsons world. And that's Bonnie Petilla, the casting director for the Simpsons. She is as important to the first days of the Simpsons as just about anybody. From reading interviews with her and hearing her tell stories on some different podcasts or specials, she really had a lot to do with the early success of the show. So quick thing about Benita, she got her start as a concert promoter Hmm. in the 80s. She says she was like the most successful woman in concert promoting in America back then. Uh, And she moved to L.A., But she says she couldn't get a job in the music industry despite moving to L.A. and all her success. She said, quote, it was tough for girls then. Mm. And yeah, it's sad. Uh, But she was able to transition into being a talent agent in the the television industry. And uh, after working on uh, some movies as well, like she worked on uh, as a casting director on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, for instance. (laughs) And then she became a casting agent for The Tracy Ullman Show. I believe the first thing she worked on with James L. Brooks. She would help not only with casting on the show with like the original cast but also she'd be assigned things like hey we need a guest for to do this in this sketch find somebody for it and she just got to know all the people to cast around town uh and so brooks then connects her with a new guy she's work that you're going to be working with to do interstitial shorts she gets hooked up with matt graining and he is explaining to her who these characters are going to be and she's like okay i've got to think of people for this and she was the one like she had worked with nancy and she had worked with yardley she she was just like oh i'm definitely going to use them she said she had to like get three other people to audition just because they were like the producers told her you know we can't just definitely go with nancy and yardley get other people let's let's make a whole thing out of this she also uh in a video i watched she told this very funny story that um when she was trying to first think of casting grading drew her a sketch of bart and said okay here's bart here's the character (laughs) she tacked it up on her like poster board in her office and when she was moving offices like eight years later she realized like oh my god this is simpson's history right here on my wall and she also said that on her piece of paper matt grading said bart's name was mort and that his name was mort, mort before being mort bart. mort mimson and, <laughs> and so she cast dancy and yardley she also knew that they had no budget for these shorts so she's like well let's just use dan and julie then uh which they agreed with so that's how they ended up with them as the voices on it and then she said when the show started brooks simply told her hire harry shearer Hmm. and so but the rest of the casting was a lot more her uh on the series like she tells stories about casting a lot of people she tells this great story about how when uh rusi taylor came in for her audition she said rusi taylor came in with a bird cage with two parrots in it and she's like hey i got my parents here i'm on my way home (laughs) and uh she she just said rusi taylor was the sweetest lady in the world i didn't know she was a bird lady that's cute (laughs) and she also tells a story uh, that they were casting christopher collins aka chris lotta and uh that she said she didn't feel he was the right voice at the time especially for mo but the other producers told her like look we just got to get somebody in here just don't don't worry about it and then she said uh, some weeks later sam simon calls her and says fire that guy <laughs> but benita already knew who to recast in that because she had worked on that uh she said she wasn't even a casting director on it. she like did a couple days on the show hollywood dog the pilot for that and that's where she met hank azaria and she knew azaria would be perfect for it she even at first said 
said, hey, the voice you do for Hollywood Dog, that should just be Bo. And he's like, well, I can't. Uh, this Hollywood Dog show might get made, so I better just um, you know alter the voice a little bit. I like the idea of Hollywood Dog. In case you don't know what that is, it's sort of like Roger Rabbit, but on a TV budget. Yes. And there's uh, the pilots online on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. It's worth it's worth checking out just for because it's it is adjacent Simpsons history. Also, because it didn't get made as a show, Benita tells the story that she wanted to get Azaria in the first place, but she had been told by Simon, don't cast anybody who has a deal at anywhere else because he wants the Simpsons to be first position. And so she wanted to get Azaria, but with Hollywood Dog going, they're like well hollywood dog has first position she after the she said the day they fired christopher collins she called him and he's like uh they just ended production on hollywood dog she's like yeah all right well then you're <laughs> you're on the simpsons she would work as a producer for years and years on the show she won three emmys working on the show she uh you know obviously most of the time you're not casting the core cast anymore on the simpsons after the first year but she then more transitioned into guest star coordinator and trying to get all those folks. She said Ringo Starr was one of the toughest she ever got on the show. And uh, based on IMDb credit, she left the show in 2015. That's mm. her most recent. She always has a credit on the show for original casting, but uh, her last producer credit on the show is a 2015 episode. It's one of those names you always see in the credits, but not are not really sure who they are, but yeah. she's always there. That's right. She's like her right by Richard Sakai. And just like, who are these people? But uh, now you know the story of Benita and how how important she was to the Simpsons. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, they could have cast anybody for those roles, but like to imagine it without... Uh, she even said that like when selling Nancy as Bart to Groening, she says that she told him... You know, you cast a woman as a boy in cartoons because then they don't age out of the role. And Grading's like, oh, okay. Like, he wasn't aware of that. So, yes, that's that's uh, our little spotlight on Benita. Not much else uh, to say in the preamble after that, other than uh, a clip from this episode appears in the early Kristen Stewart film, Catch That Kid. Huh? If, uh, have you seen that one, Callie? I haven't, but that uh, is such a... What a pull catch that yes. kid yeah it uh kristen stewart before she got cast in twilight she was you know a child actress she had appeared in uh a safe room with oh you mean panic room panic room sorry it's okay yes. yeah. it's the same thing yeah pa- panic room with Jodie Foster. oh yeah zathura that's right the space yeah. jumanji movie the space jumanji yeah <laughs> and she was in catch that kid which was about uh child bank robbers i believe so oh, no I, I looked it up i don't know if that like could be flagged anywhere typing in catch that Kid. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. especially like Kristen Stewart, catch that kid. Uh, yes, in the film, a guard, a lazy guard at a bank is watching a clip from this episode when he should be watching the bank and, uh, and catching these kids. <laughs> so that's one more bit of trivia about this episode. Uh, but I guess, why don't we start with our first clip? Uh, as the episode begins, we get to see the, the morning routine of uh, Homer and Marge. So how was the office birthday party? Oh, it was delightful. Ooh. The frosting on the cake was this thick. And Eugene Fisk, my poor sucker of an assistant, didn't know the fruit punch was spiked. And he really made an ass of himself putting the moves on a new girl in valve maintenance. <laughs> Does this girl like him? I have to warn you, Marge. I think the poor young thing has the husk for yours truly. Homer. <laughs> Just keeping you on your toes, babe. <gasps> Do a 
139 pounds. Oh, I'm a blimp. Why are all the good things so tasty? From now on, exercise every morning. You're not a blimp, Homer. You're my big, cuddly teddy bear. No, I think has almost every season one episode started with getting ready in the morning scenes. Mm. It feels like it had like so many of yeah. them have at least half of them. I'm looking through my notes now. You're right. Yeah. See, yeah. I mean, well, call the Simpsons begins like I guess it is kind of the morning because Bart's doing uh, like yard work. But yeah, the last one we just did of Telltale Head like that. The original opening is the uh, the church in the morning. They're getting ready for church together. Yeah. It's very literal. It's like, well, we can't just show the Simpsons where they end up. we got to show them getting ready to go there first. It's <laughs> like they had to build that in. I think they yeah. were not thinking ahead. But yeah, so much of like the getting ready for bed and getting ready for the morning stuff is in this first season. I do like it as a, a way to like set up the just the mundane things, like the average everyday family sort of mm. vibe. And I... I don't know. I I'm a reviews editor by day, but by night I just I adore The Simpsons. And so every <laughs> minute of a Simpsons episode, I'm like having fun. I'm having a good time. <laughs> In this one, though, they make good use of it because we see like a different version of the same scene six months later to see nothing has changed, but Homer's <laughs> life has gotten worse <laughs> somehow. Yeah. yeah, and also like that you you wonder if like does this happen every week where Homer gets on the scale and is shocked by it and then it makes a new resolution he instantly drops. I like his lack of movement on his exercise. Like, uh, uh, yeah, just move I your arms back and forth. Love his, ex that's me. Whenever I'm like, you know what? I need to exercise more. I just kind of shimmy. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm moved. I'm kind of jealous that his weight stays so consistent uh, to be 239 pounds six months later. Still, I mean, he doesn't want to be 239 pounds, but he didn't gain any weight, so that's nice. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, like staying at that level is impressive for Homer, honestly. 239 yeah. seems slim for Homer. Right. In fact, right? like the standards, I mean, there's like a show on TV called My 600-Pound Life now. It's very popular. Just like that is whale size, not to yeah. demean the the large of us, but mm. I don't think 239 is uh, even close to like whale if you're classifying well, yeah. animal-wise. Yeah. I feel like Homer's not even 600 pounds because I've seen My 600-Pound Life. It is quite the journey of a, a TV show, I would personally not recommend it. It's upsetting. <laughs> it's hard but to watch. The episode where he, you know, the he has the moo moo. I forget the name, but where he gains King all that size weight. Homer, yeah, yeah. Even then, he's not six hundred pounds. Like, no. He's three hundred, but his you design know? changed so extreme he's when he three. gains four sixty pounds. It's true, he's three, but he looks like five hundred in that episode. It's <laughs> he like does. I guess uh, the writers were all young and had good metabolisms or something, and they just weren't <laughs> sure what big was. No way, they all got fat eating the. At this point, uh, no. Okay, yeah. yes, not at this point. Yeah. <laughs> They're all wiry and childless and uh, living it up in L.A. Actually, in my John Vitti research, he sh shared insights. We've all seen that picture of them in the writer's room like eating together and like conan's right in the center but he talks about how i like, guess this is all from uh, islands burgers we're all uh. eating islands burgers and beatty's like here's another picture of me from that same day eating a chili cheese fries from uh from <laughs> islands yeah also the the i like the comedy that 239 is the legible number on it too i like that <laughs> The Simpsons will be right back. Hey, Bart, want to trade lunches? No way, dude. I got each of the four food groups. Sandwich group, cow group, jungle group. 
Butterfinger group. Hey, there's no Butterfinger group. Oh, contraire, mon frère. The Butterfinger group has the chocolatey, crispy, peanut buttery taste essential for survival. I don't have the Butterfinger group. Looks like you could die of malnutrition, dude. Nobody better lay a finger on my Butterfinger. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the break. And a big thank you to our guest, Callie Plaggy. Please follow her on Twitter and check out all the cool reviews she's doing at GameSpot as the reviews editor. She's always great to have on the show, especially when we're revisiting season one. And, you know, if you're enjoying this podcast and wish you could hear more, maybe even hear next week's episode right now, then you should be supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. $5 a month not only helps me and Bob do this full time as our real ass jobs, but it also gets you every episode of Talking Simpsons a week ahead of time and the same goes for our sister podcast what a cartoon where we go through a different animated series in the talking simpson style once a week and you get a ton of extras for that money too that five bucks gets you access to all of our interviews with many of the folks who've worked on the simpsons some from the very beginning you definitely want to hear our most recent one with jay kogan where he talks about season one and working on it and starting this month in april is our newest exclusive patreon miniseries talking mission hill where we give the talking simpsons treatment to the entire mission hill series from the best simpsons showrunners bill oakley and josh weinstein you'll be hearing the first episode next week on the free feed but if you sign up you'll be able to hear the next 12 every friday starting in april at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so please check all of that out today But if you want entertainment fancier than a ye old off-ramp in, then you need to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. All that $5 stuff I just talked about, you get that. Plus, our monthly What a Cartoon Movie Podcast. Me and Bob talk about a different animated feature film in the same in-depth, history-discussing way as we do Simpsons and What a Cartoon. Except it's about an animated movie. Our most recent one this month is going to be the Lupin the Third film, Castle Cagliostro, Hayao Miyazaki's first feature film. Before that, we've done so many great movies like The Great Mouse Detective, Aladdin, a goofy movie, Tiny Toons, How I Spent My Vacation, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Kiki's Delivery Service, SpongeBob SquarePants the Movie, Iron Giant, and so many more. You'll get over 60 hours of podcasts if you sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons or upgrade your $5 subscription to that. So please check that out today. Also, I think Marge's neck is still drawn weird in the show. Like they're still figuring out her neck. Like it, it, when the pearls aren't there, it's uh, it's a confusing situation. Yeah. <laughs> there are no rules. And there's a few first appearances in production order in this episode. But I do wonder why like Eugene Fisk never became a thing. Like this is his only appearance. Yeah, no other, not even as like a background character, like him yeah. or his dad. As we pointed out in the uh, live show, they died in the Gulf War. If you weren't there to see it, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. But uh, <laughs> yes, uh, only appearance in this show. 
Yeah, the I think it is because they're just so boring. They're not interesting characters. They, they're like upstanding and they hate <laughs> <meet> the party. <laughs> yeah, they seem resistant. They seem like they get in the way of comedy. But I also do like how nice Marge is reassuring Homer with his big cuddly teddy bear yeah. uh, pronouncement. That's that's sweet. She, you know, Marge, uh, Marge gets it rough uh, sometimes here. So I feel bad for her, especially when she's so nice to Homer at the start of this. But I know she really just has a, she does not have a great life a lot of the time but she is so loving and i appreciate that about her uh and we haven't heard much about the valve maintenance department since uh this episode either i think it was just them trying to make a dirty joke oh okay wow i didn't even think about that the girl from valve maintenance (laughs) yeah i also i go through homer's uh recurring realizations of just like i wish i didn't like eating garbage so much (laughs) but what was i did recognize as a as an eight-year-old or seven-year-old was uh these ads in the back of comics when i started reading comic books in 89 you still would see some of these ads but they basically were dying out by the 90s they were dead these uh the back of comic strip ads for x-ray specs and uh prank gum and whatnot the comics i got as a real little kid are from the flea market and they were all like from the 70s and 80s so they were full of all these things like you could no longer (laughs) order a monkey for ten dollars or whatever (laughs) a live monkey or sell grit to get a uh, Mm. motor uh a dirt bike but bart uh, i mean actually by the mid 90s the only time i'd see ads like these they would be the joke versions of them like simpsons made a, uh, in bongo comics a number of parody things like this and i think you know bart i love that bart is like i don't believe any of this oh boy it's spy camera <laughs> But it works. It's a $2 spy camera that entirely works. You just need uh, access to a photo lab I guess, to yeah. develop photos. <laughs> yeah, that's right. and a lot of the cameras of, vexes me. I don't, don't know how it works. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it... Uh, no flash on that camera, yeah. although it makes a flash sound uh, that's sometimes. True. Yeah, you know what? His photo looks pretty amazing for being taken in like a smoky bar with the quality of it. But, and again, $1.99, which even in 1990 money is way too cheap for a functioning camera like you i would think a disposable camera then cost you like 20 bucks we had no uh, fun savers yeah oh yeah time. fun savers didn't even exist there yet. was no way to save fun it was <laughs> so ephemeral and also when bart wants to get his money he smashes the piggy bank that had been taped back together that homer broke in homer's odyssey there's a lot of piggy bank violence in this uh, season. It's so weird. They break a piggy bank every other episode. And they're so like, strange. and it's featured like two other times, like in um, No Disgrace Like Home, they're like emptying the piggy bank on the table. And there, there's like one more appearance I can't think of where the, the piggy bank plays into it. Yeah. Piggy bank continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I, that feels like a thing the animators remembered and not the uh, the writers. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the shattered piggy bank. <laughs> And so then we get a uh, Naruto style time jump of uh, to, uh, and uh, everyone is older and sexier and different different costumes. They've got a new fourth form, uh, <laughs> but but yes, uh, actually no. Everyone is unchanged six months later. Homer uh, actually is going through the same thing again. Oh no, two hundred and thirty nine pounds. I'm a whale. Why was I cursed with this weakness for snack treats? Well, from now on, exercise every morning, Homer. (coughs) Don't strain yourself, dear. Good idea, Marge. (laughs) By the way, this Friday night, I'm going to be attending a little get-together with the boys at work. 
Eugene Fisk is marrying some girl in valve maintenance. Homer, is this some kind of stag party? No, no, Marge. It's going to be a very classy, a tea and crumpet kind of thing. Hmm. Eugene Fisk, isn't he your assistant? No, it's my supervisor. <laughs> Didn't he used to be your assistant? Hey, what is this, the Spanish exposition? Sorry, Homer. <laughs> Still keeping that old joke of Homer uh, getting words wrong. Oh, like yes. Archie Bunker style, the Spanish exposition yeah. instead of Inquisition. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, the Homer Homer also is shaving, and the beard line is intact. Which, like in the next, uh, in the original first episode, Some Enchanted Evening, they show that like he can shave his beard line and it's gone, but then it pops right back, it fades back. Yeah. But in this case, he shaves away the stubble from his beard <laughs> line, which I think is even more confusing, really. So a lot of the jokes of this season are the Simpsons are like a family stuck in the past. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of drop that in some ways, but it's like, it's kind of like the 60s family, like living in the 90s. They, they, they enjoy Mambo and bowling and all the stuff the writers' dads did. I don't think I've ever heard anyone use the term stag party no way. sincerely in my lifetime. <laughs> no way. No, like stag maybe party. Maybe if they're British, but certainly not an American. <laughs> it feels like a Flintstones thing it where really like does. Fred and Barney would go to a stag party with dancing girls. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> at the, at the Water it, Buffalo Lodge, yeah. Yeah, it feels like... Like at least this is maybe the origin of of why this is so scandalous is that she <laughs> she says it with such derision too like a yeah. stag party <laughs> like that's the only reason I've heard British people say like a stag do or whatever and that's the only reason I even understand what that means. <laughs> I apparently in Australia it's called a bucks night. <laughs> what? Yeah, it Whoa. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then that. the a bridesmaid party in. At least British English is a hen party. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Seems a little cruel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Uh, see, I yeah, I prefer the more clear. There's there's no need for metaphor in bachelor's party and bridesmaids <laughs> party. Like it's pretty clear in those. I think, you know, the stag idea I barely knew what it was as a kid. I think the only other exposure I had to the concept was multiple jokes in old Warner cartoons where oh, yeah. uh, Bugs would put on a, a film that he thinks would be innocent and it would be like stag film. And he's like, no, no. And he'd, he'd <laughs> I do remember it. that joke. It's like, oh, that was a stag reel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I remember that from a few vague uh, cartoons. Uh, that, But other than that, which I guess meant pornography was going to play. I think it was thing. like an image of a deer like pulling down stalking or whatever oh yeah <laughs> yeah oh my God. i i find it so weird that that was like oh you know it'd be a fun activity we all watch porn together but maybe that's just me <laughs> well that was also in the first episode of family guy when we did it it's like yes. let's all come over and drink beer and watch a pornography together yeah <laughs> which uh well so look if we're thinking in the way a man in the 50s thinks not everybody owns porn and like one person has probably like an eight millimeter of porn they bought through a, a filthy magazine and you do all like to save time you all come together and watch that uh, that eight millimeter but otherwise and you carry the memories with you your entire life uh, that gets you through the war that one stack <laughs> it's true that's why we won damn it uh so so yes well this kind of night 
just feels so old fashioned. I mean, now the idea of like, at least to me, the idea of, oh, you and all your work buddies are going to go to a smoke filled room, only men and and a dancer is going to come like it's uh, just seems uncomfortable to me, honestly. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't sound like a fun, sexy time that would just make people feel uncomfortable. (laughs) <laughs> well, the the in general, this uh, this shows the difference between like sex positiveness versus this kind of like just very chauvinistic expression of appreciating a sex worker, which you get in this episode. And mm-hmm. I that's a big thing of why I think Marge is against it too. That she's like, this is just disgusting and gross, like man's night. You guys are gonna have it's, it's yeah. also the uh, the pain of uh, working for your former underling. That's no fun. <laughs> I. I, I <laughs> Uh, but you know what? That old manager now has, has, has some bullshit job at Salesforce, so fuck him. That's, <laughs> that's all I got to say. He's working from home. <laughs> uh, anyway, then as uh, also Homer just spits all his mouthwash on the wall and like, no, doesn't even pretend to clean it up. And, and Marge, I uh, feel like she should be pissed at him uh, making that giant mess. Especially considering how pissed she is later in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you're picking your battles, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> then Bart has uh, his first interaction with a woman in this episode. Uh-oh, it's the female man. Female carrier, Bart. Lady, where's my spy camera? Where's, where's my, my spy, spy camera? camera? Where is my spy camera, six lady? Where is my spy camera? Where's my spy camera? Where's my spy camera? Here's your stupid spy camera. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Whoa, man. Look at the size of this thing. I wonder if it really works. Because I got a lot of spying to do. Mm. Good job with uh, on Maggie Roswell for that yeah, female carrier. That postal <laughs> service worker really should have uh, come back again. Why Why didn't she have the longevity of a Lenny or a Carl, you know? Uh, she does a good job with that. Yeah, uh, just yelling back and forth. Like I just like yelling jokes are funny, too. And we are now in the days of, uh, like, uh, frankly, things come too quickly. Mm-hmm. It's just like I had to order. This happens all the time. It's like I had to order a DVD for uh, the podcast or whatever, and we're recording it, like, in 10 days. It's like, hey, do you want it tomorrow morning? We'll get it to you tomorrow morning. Do you want to? It's like, no, how is this possible? Uh, it's scary that it can be that fast. Yeah. Uh, but it's like it's a joke that like I enjoy, but it just doesn't even make sense if you like for if you watch that and you grew up, you know, you're 10 years old and you watch that, it wouldn't even make sense, which is uh, so crazy to think about. Well, it takes so long. It I do remember the pain of waiting for a mail order thing back then. Yep. It wouldn't take six months, but you you couldn't check a website to tell you that they received it or that you were getting it or it that was, it showed up. Yeah. It was just like one of these days I know in the mail MST3K's poopy collection is going to be in my mailbox. <laughs> my my dad was an early adopter of like ordering things off the internet. He was so into it. And so I my Game Boy was an online order and so I had to I 
it was a lesson in delayed gratification because every day did my Game Boy come, I was definitely like, where's my spy camera? <laughs> I, I like the aggressiveness of Bart, like asking her at the door every day, where's my spy camera for six months, which <laughs> I, I would feel like after the third day in a row that happens, you um, don't go there or just dry, like say, I'm putting this at the end of your driveway. Like, <laughs> screw you. Like, I'm not knocking on your door with a mail delivery. Start using your mace. <laughs> it's also cute how Lisa goes like female carrier Bart. Like, it's funny, funny little uh, correction there. There's also some really good like little animation on the packing peanuts falling out of the, the giant box of uh, styrofoam peanuts there. Uh, and so Bart gets to work with his spy camera. First, he photographs photographs homer in his undershirt doing um toe touches which uh honestly it feels too modest for homer to be in an undershirt i feel like he's just shirtless yeah and in his like under under like uh tidy whities right oh yeah, yeah yeah no you mentioned that on the commentary that this was the episode where they decided like okay does homer have you know heart covered boxers or does he wear tidy whities and they they went with the briefs uh, which Al Jean joked about like, well, because you can just draw it. You don't have to draw the obvious like genital shape that would be seen on a human man wearing as tight a briefs as Homer wears. Uh, and so it's a smooth, smooth pear body. Yes. Yeah. There are no bumps. <laughs> I was, I was thinking about that with Bart's body too. He has like a bubble butt. Oh in yeah, this episode. they're both like upside down light bulbs. Like most of the men on the Simpsons are just upside down traditional <laughs> they really light bulbs. Are. They really are. Yeah. They got crazy hips. <laughs> they're uh, all childbearing hips. Yeah, they. <laughs> it, it'll lead to a realization they do like uh, years later on the show with the with the human ball thing where they realize like Springfield is America's fattest town. And I like, go, oh, yeah, most of the men are drawn with at least a little bit of a gut. Uh, and he, I like Bart gets caught taking photos and then he says like, sorry, dad, the answer is top secret and runs off. Uh, the, I also like, you know, the joke in 1990 was Bart takes a picture and you get to instantly know what it looks like because it, they show it to you, but obviously he doesn't. Now that's just reality. Like we, we know what photos look like the second you take them. Uh, he catches Marge shaving her armpits, which I feel like she should be doing in the shower, not like sitting at her table in right? the bedroom. Who sits at their vanity to shave their armpits? All <laughs> written by men. No women on the staff <laughs> for the first six years. Uh, and uh, But Marge is uh, very uh, offended and tells Bart to go outside and take some nature photos, which he takes a photo of a squished squirrel pretty gross uh i feel like in all these circumstances they're asking themselves like what can't you show on prime time normally like roadkill a mother shaving her armpits and uh and a boy taking a photo of his own butt it's a great angle he's got <laughs> uh you know now we all work hard to take good angles on our on our privates but our <laughs> part was ahead of the curve there <laughs> Uh, but uh, John Vitti also on his Twitter account uh, six years ago, he credited his brother Jim uh, because he said his when they were kids, he took pictures of his butt all the time. <laughs> and who developed really? these photos? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. That's all the details. He said he might be trying to just embarrass his brother, Jim Vitti, on, on the Internet. But I've seen like, you know, you see in shows or whatever, photocopying their butt. Yes. Yeah. But. <laughs> I, I I mean I've never 
but now it's very common for people to take pictures of their butts. So I don't know where I land on this one. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, Bart didn't uh, know about the mirror selfies back then, and all the. All <laughs> I was the gonna mirror... say <laughs> that. Uh, why? Why contort yourself to get a butt shot? It's true. Uh, this is a selfie, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In, in a way, he's <sighs> a pioneer. Uh, but I also, uh, you know, it's 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 a weird picture, especially like. When Lisa walks into the room and goes, you, I'm just like, look, the angle she's getting yeah. from this, I feel very <laughs> bad for her. I, but yes, Bart is interrupted in his butt photography <laughs> as uh, as he finds out that the, the family's going to dinner. Since it's just the four of us tonight, we're having dinner at the Rusty Barnacle. Yay! Fried shrimp! Oh, Mom, can't we just grab a burger at only four of us? Who escaped? Your father. He's having a boy's night out. Just as I was asking myself, where did my seven-year-old boy get the money for a Father's Day present? <laughs> I opened the box, and inside was little Eugene's baseball glove. <laughs> he had given me the one thing that mattered most to him in the whole world. Eugene, when I see you, the one thing that matters most to me in the whole world, married tomorrow... I'm going to know just how you felt that day. I love you, Dad. I love you, son. Where am I, the planet cornball? <laughs> hey, don't worry. Things are going to pick up once the entertainment gets here. Ooh, entertainment. Yes, sir. <laughs> and that was Carl, not Flanders. <laughs> yes, that was Carl talking at the end there. It is so weird to hear that voice come out of Carl. Yeah, the uh, the as John Vitti says uh, on Twitter as well, he uh, gives all the credit to Lenny and Carl being famous characters <laughs> to Harry and Hank for doing such a good job with the voices because he had no thoughts about them. He's just like uh, Lenny and Carl. These are who these two other characters are. And production wise, this is their first episode, right? Yes, it yeah. is. Yes. Now, uh, the listeners heard us talk about Lenny appearing in the previous episode that aired Life on the fast lane but the first appearance of and only lenny's in that one but the first appearance of lenny and carl was together in this episode i don't think carl will get his real voice until season two yeah i think so yeah i i mean i don't think carl appears in another shot in this i don't think season. so and uh well also the uh shocking thing that the first time in production order that you see lenny He's smoking. Like That's it's true. Just shocking to see him smoke. It's crazy. <laughs> not uh, Lenny. <laughs> not Lenny. Not Lenny. <laughs> uh, He's not worried about his eye yet. There's a lot, there's no. a lot to come. Oh, his. He's more his, confident now. His pristine young eyes at this time. <laughs> we should say that uh, the Rusty Barnacle was mentioned in Life on the Fast Lane, but That's this is the right. first time we see it production-wise, and the only time because the Frying Dutchman would become the de facto mm -hmm. seafood restaurant. Ah, oh, man, you know. In in a more continuity carrying Simpsons world, when they made up the Frying Dutchman, they would have just said it was the Rusty Barnacle, and the sea captain took it over and made it an all-you-can-eat place. But uh, yeah, the Rusty Barnacle one time appear. I'd seen they put so much work into it. I think they felt like they'd probably be coming back. You know, I've I've been to seafood restaurants like this. In fact, there's mm. one in Berkeley on the Marina. It's oh. a, it's a really old seafood restaurant, but the inside is like the inside of a ship. So all oh. the windows those are like portholes and stuff. They try really hard. Whenever I go there, which is like twice, there's nobody in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, bet. I don't know how they stay open. I bet they're not going to be staying open much longer. Uh, that's true. Aww. Yeah, uh, good point. 
No, that uh, yeah, I've been. I went to these uh, a couple times when I was a kid. These were the type of restaurants I really like. Well, the Spaghetti Factories were some of my favorite. Like the family dines at a nice place together. Things when I was a kid. I you know as a kid I I like seafood fine. I mean I just have the the ch- kitty fish and chips usually. Not nothing as exciting even as fried shrimp. But I I like these theme things now. You know a seafood restaurant. Uh, seems kind of just uh, average as a thing for an mm. adult to go to. You but, like sushi? Oh, I love sushi. Yes, mm, I love sushi. <laughs> so as a UCB uh, reference there, uh, but uh, uh, no. The last time I went to a seafood restaurant was when I was up in Sacramento visiting my mom mm. and stepdad, and it's all seafood places there, a ton of them. And so we went to uh, to Joe's Crab Shack. Went to that. Okay. that chain, yeah, which, I was gonna bring up Joe's Crab Shack. That's the one. This gave me Joe Crab Shack feels, yes. Yeah. Yes, it definitely has a Joe's Crab Shack vibe. And uh, it was a good time. We had uh, because my parents uh, were paying. I was yeah. like, well, I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have two different silly blue drinks with funny things <laughs> coming up. Uh, because of uh, girlfriend of the show Nina Matsumoto, I've been turned on the squid lately. Like oh. uh, dried squid is a perfect beer snack. It's so good. Quick interlude. Speaking yes. of beer snacks, have you seen Waka Kozake? the Mm-mm. anime about a, an office lady. Every episode is like three to four minutes. It's just about her pairing different things with different beers. Oh, oh wow. I'm on board. This. Yeah. I would highly recommend Waka Kozake for that because she'll do like salmon skin with like different beers. And it's just like her after work thing that she does by herself. Oh yeah. Salmon skin is another thing that Nina turned me on to. It's oh, good. It's I've, so good. Yeah. Now that I haven't had, I've had the like, uh, I've not ordered it at a restaurant, but I've had it at like convenience stores in Japan. Mm. The, the squid legs kind of thing, or, or I had I had it once from a um, carnival stall. Those carnival stall type things. Okay, and, uh, for street food, that was really nice. But the yeah the this comes from a like a pre sushi in America like, popularizing bleh, thing. Yeah, like, yeah, especially like squid extra tentacles. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you could make a case for the Frying Dutchman, like, replacing the is the Rusty Barnacle? Yes. Rusty Barnacle. Um, because Marge is so scarred, she doesn't want to go back. But, <laughs> that makes sense, know. yeah. Well, the Frying Dutchman was, in its first appearance, the uh, the source of a major lawsuit for the family. That's true, yeah. It Good was the uh, all-you-can-eat seafood. <laughs> Humil- hum- uh, a true humiliation for Marge there, too. Though yeah. also, also, technically, it employs Homer as the uh, the window. Uh, spectacle. Uh, now the uh, I think too this whole party, this stag party that's uh, happening here. I it feels interesting that Eugene and his dad are there such a healthy view of masculinity that they're just like a a father openly loving his son and appreciating him and yeah and, like embracing him in front of everyone and and that's why it's even better to happen at the stag party because all the guys are just like look ah, this sucks like uh whole- and you have to wonder who invited princess cashmere if not, like it wasn't Eugene's idea. I don't know who his best man is. I have a lot of questions. Carl seems to know what's going on. So <laughs> yeah. I, I got to think Carl or other or he, Lenny planned it. He ordered the service. Yes. Yeah. The, mm. the hired hired the talent, let's say. <laughs> I I also like that um, Homer's Where Are We? The Planet Cornball. That was just a, a mean thing that Sam Simon said to an animator one day while they were working on the show. And they're like, oh, 
that's so funny. We're just going to use that. <laughs> but uh, also distracting in that one of the we uh, one of our weirdos of season one, mm. that guy with the like Yahoo serious. I think he looks like the guy with the crazy red, red hair, it's like a red yeah. crest of hair, like a cockatoo or something. Yeah, that guy is so distracting. There's no name for him even on the wiki. Like, and there's a lot of characters in this episode who only appear in this episode. They have a wiki on the Simpsons wiki. Not that red haired guy. <laughs> then we cut back to the uh, the Simpsons arriving. I really, you know, the hostess design is good. But she looks like too human, like uh, not the right <laughs> Simpsons design. Or not like the video game either. Yes. No. I mean, that would be horrifying if it was that. <laughs> uh, I beat that game. I can say I can say with authority that's a bad game. It's illegal to sell it now. You can't buy <laughs> it's it. It's true. Uh, I also feel bad for the waiters in this place that they all have to walk around with a single eye covered. Like, that's going to damage your vision. That seems like a problem, too, for like depth perception, laying a tray down on a table yeah. or like laying down plates. <laughs> yeah, carrying hot food, like uh, fried food. Yeah. You're, you're going to drop all your squid tentacles on people. <laughs> Uh, and Bart and the waiter instantly have just like antipathy for each other. That feels so short to me, like just Bart clashing instantly with a male authority figure, but they don't really follow up on it. Like Bart doesn't like prank him or anything. I feel like he's dealt with this kind of kid before serving this kind of kid before. I like that he gives him the kids menu and then immediately takes his order. Like that they just skip. Oh the yeah. Whole process. <laughs> That's true. Like get their drink orders, but I guess the guy's like, we got to clear out this table fast. We got a long <laughs> line outside. Uh, but yes, uh, Bart has a special order. Ahoy. I spy the children's menu. Ahoy. This place bites. Bart. So what's it going to be me little bucko? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, let's see. This evening I shall go for the Squid platter. Ew. With extra tentacles, please. No, Bart. Excuse me, sir. The party next door seems to be a little raucous. Could you please ask them to quiet down a little bit, please? Aye, aye. <laughs> hey, try and keep it down, guys, okay? Hey, shut up. <laughs> God, I just realized uh, I didn't watch this with headphones on. They just had a bunch of guys sing Barnacle Bill, That's so and it's in the background. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't <laughs> notice without headphones either. It's just like they're doing it. And by the way, yes, I have Barnacle Bill, the full song, uh, sung by a very interesting man. Mm. So this song uh, was, was public domain. It was just a popular uh, drinking song people would sing. It was first recorded in a songbook in 1927. Yeah, okay. But here is a uh, record release of it from 1932, sung by a super interesting voice. If only they'd remove the face and Barnacle Bill the Sailor I wall it up like a Christmas face and Barnacle Bill the Sailor I'll sail the sea until I croak I'll fight and swear and break and smoke But I can't swim up woman's strokes and Barnacle Bill the Sailor there you go. So that's the uh, the first voice of Popeye singing wow. that. And I believe there was... No, it's from a cartoon where that's called Barnacle Bill. Oh, so okay. this I record release... Okay. It was It was one of the black and white ones. So okay. it was tied into the release of that cartoon. They were selling it alongside wow. it. But yeah, they're just singing in the background. And there's like... I didn't look up the lyrics, but there's like a male part and a woman part. But you sing the woman part in like falsetto. It's like oh, Barnacle okay. Bill and this woman like going back and forth with each other. That's, I think. that's why we're hearing all the falsetto yeah. in the background is like Bart <laughs> Marks. It is weird hearing it back, just the audio, because I didn't notice really the 
background until I didn't have the visual <laughs> to distract me. They are really loud. <laughs> I would complain too, but I like that Marge says please twice. I think that says a lot about Marge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, I've I've drink drank a lot. I've drink drank a lot in my time, <laughs> as you could tell. Uh, but I've never been privy to a drinking song. I've never yeah. taken a big like uh, mug of beer and did it back and forth and uh, sang a song from 1927. <laughs> it's never happened. Well, I mean, is is that not karaoke? Is that not what karaoke is? I, I guess. Karaoke is just the advanced version of this. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't want to drink. I'm going to spill my drink, and I paid a lot for that. I keep the drink. I sing the song, and then when the song is over, I down I down the alcohol. You got to sip it during the solo if you're just going to stand around, oh, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like it's good on the karaoke where it tells you, like, you got 20 seconds. Or, like, I, I prefer when they tell you you've got seconds instead of, like, eight bars. I'm like, I, I'm, I don't know music. Why are you telling me? Listen, uh, Sunfly's a busy bug. He can't always count things for you. Uh, good old Sunfly. The, uh, yeah, I also just love Homer's just, like, hey, shut up. <laughs> Nothing clever. Just, like, telling the guy, shut up. We're going to yell as much as we want. And uh, you can also see Eugene and his dad. They are miserable. Just miserable. Yeah, just sitting alone at the table. I do like that Eugene's origin, though, is that he got drunk, or he I guess he didn't realize that the the punch bowl was spiked. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then got rowdy (laughs) at a different office party. Oh, yeah, all of these old, like, party uh, things, like, I I meant to say that at the beginning, that, like, I've never been to a place where a thing was spiked. Yeah. Because, like... You know immediately, it's like, oh, this tastes like alcohol. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you I, would recognize it. I guess they're implying that Eugene was so virginal that he had never drank alcohol before and didn't even recognize its taste in punch. And so, <laughs> I mean, talk again, we're talking about HR violations, like spiking <laughs> of, of alcohol, like... Some people don't want to ever drink alcohol or maybe, you know, intentionally sober after having a problem with alcohol. That's why you don't secretly put alcohol in things. Yeah, that's a fireball offense for sure, I would say. But uh, a more uh, innocent, horrible time in 1990. It was. Uh, and maybe Eugene also is, uh, you know, staying sober now because that's what his uh, his fiance is. Uh, they agreed to. But it, being you know? drunk is how they met. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, uh, who knows? Maybe she doesn't realize that. Uh, uh, so the food is delivered. There's a, uh, a anagram joke that John Vitti says he wasted an entire afternoon doing, and he he says like time management uh, is an important skill to have as a scriptwriter, and I didn't have it then. I went to an anagram maker online and I found two good ones. Uh, oh, really? For uh, what's that? What's the cod platter? Cod platter. So yeah, I have uh, cattle prod. Ooh. And uh, cat droplets. <laughs> Those are both very good. Yeah, cold pet rats, good too. That's the best that's one. Good. Yeah, I wanted to find two other ones, <laughs> but well, I don't know that uh, that cat droplets. That's disgusting for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, and four ninety five for a cod platter sounds pretty good. Nineteen ninety, man. Yeah. I, that was the first thing I looked at when I when I was looking at the sign. I was like, wow, four ninety five, huh? Well, in the wow. Bay Area, that's especially a deal. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the thinking of how, you know, this is such a Harvardy room, that is a very Harvard thing to waste the afternoon trying to think of an original anagram joke for your that has something to do with 
fish like that would be a fish order though i don't think you'd see a cod platter like on in a menu or something you just have like yeah the cod i want that uh meanwhile when the food arrives like marge seemed to order a steak or something Hmm. it does not look like fish to me lisa got her fried shrimp she got the the turf Yes, Marge yeah. did, <laughs> and uh, yes, this is pre Lisa's vegetarianism, obviously, with her love of fried shrimp. That that felt like a very you know little girl thing to enjoy fried shrimp. Yeah, yeah. I still enjoy fried shrimp. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But uh, they do something that they I think only did in this episode in season one, and definitely were done with after season one. Bart turns green in reaction to seeing the squid. <laughs> Bart turns green in all the John Vitti episodes so far. Oh, yes. yeah. Bart the genius. Right. He tur- Well, okay, yes. But that was a non-cartoony turning it's green. It's true, but he was still green. You are, yes. Yeah. I stand by what I said. <laughs> That's uh, maybe his, you know, chemical reaction flares up when he's <laughs> disgusted. Uh, but yeah, the green reaction is just, uh, I, I like that Bart kind of played himself there, as DJ Khalid would say. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yes I, uh, So they then cut away to uh, Back to the smoke filled room And uh, the, the, a dancer arrives there in, uh, in our next clip Here you go There you are For the baby And one squid platter Extra tentacles <laughs> Bark, quit fooling around and eat your dinner Yeah, eat it, Bark <laughs> May I please be excused for a minute Okay, but don't dawdle. Your food will get cold. <laughs> okay, Eugene. One last taste of Bachelor Freedom. <laughs> Presenting Princess Kashmir, Queen of the Mysterious East. <laughs> How do I tell you this, my boy? We're in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him squirm. So the Lenny voice was Mo. That, yes. that, that Mo you heard was Lenny. <laughs> Lenny in this episode is uh, Mo and Carl is Flanders. Yeah. <laughs> they, it took them a while to figure out these characters. The arrival of Princess Cashmere is so funny that she just comes out of the kitchen. I like that. And there's an angry dishwasher behind <laughs> yes, her. Yeah. Well, I like that it's like, yeah, you needed to hide somewhere. And I just like thinking of the the planning for this. They're like, she has to come in. Obviously, she can't walk through the restaurant in her costume. So she has to come out of somewhere, and the kitchen's their only choice. I also like that she's the queen of the mysterious East, but she's like huh. definitely white. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. A redheaded woman, yeah. Uh, but she's uh, she's a 10 out of 10 smoke show, though. She's a good looker. But... Most attractive woman on The Simpsons so far, I think. <laughs> to this point, yeah. yeah. In, including all the other ladies you'll see in this episode. They And, and I always feel for the artists because... You know, Matt Groening's art style was not made to draw attractive women. And that you just like he he doesn't know. He'd be the first to admit he can't really draw women. So that they that they find a way to do it with cashmere uh, is is impressive. He has that in common with Akira Toriyama. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Speaking of uh, wives that are mean uh, in shows. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, the so Cashmere, you know, or um, uh, Shauna Tifton, I guess I I should be calling her that. But uh, Ca- uh, Princess Cashmere, like she's she's a person doing her job, and she doesn't uh, you know feel any real shame about that, nor should she. I I I like that about her, but also I don't I don't read her as a you know stripper per se i i do see her as more of a belly dancer in this role or like she's i don't i guess what i'm saying is i don't think she's going to take off more clothes than she has when she enters the room no i don't think so yeah she's just she's more of a performer yeah and then the next time we see her she's a showgirl yes Yeah. yeah yeah Though some of the other places they they go looking for that she does uh, work at, those do seem to be strip clubs. So she's I, done some foxy boxing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's got a varied resume. I'll say I'll say that about Shauna Tifton. I like you know Cashmere's a professional. She's doing her job. She also like uh, I like that she sees that Eugene is just like not into this and just would rather be anywhere else. So she since she sees she's not going to get much work out of that, she's like I got to keep this party going. Okay, hey you, big guy. Let's let's da- let's me and you dance instead. It's her job. To, she got hired for a job, and she's gonna do it. This is why she I did think a good job. Homer did nothing wrong. Mm, okay, <laughs> he was playing along. She's like, well, yeah. this is what I do. I'm hired to entertain, and I'm gonna like dance with this uh, big guy, yeah. this big fun guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm also in the Homer did nothing wrong camp. I think he went to a party. There, she's wearing clothes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't touch her. Yeah, no yeah. physical touching is going on. This is not like even a lap dance. Nothing. Like They're just like they're boogieing, basically. Yeah. They're boogieing on a table, yeah. And, yeah. and they're not alone either. They're in a room full of people, so it's not like Homer got like a private dance with a woman, but yeah. I suppose Homer... Okay, what Homer did do wrong is he lied to Marge and said it wasn't a stag party. That's true. That is true, yeah. So in that regard, he did. uh, But also, like, Homer didn't even hire the cashmere. Like, it wasn't up to... As far as he knew, a dancer was not going to be there. So all Homer does is dance with a dancer who is doing their job. That's... uh, But, you know, I, I can see it's more the humiliation for Marge, I guess. And he's even kind of, like, bashful about it when they're trying to get him up on the table, you know? Yeah, that's true. Homer's yeah, not like, drunk he's enough. He's not sold on it. Yeah. Uh, but then he gets into it. And I, I think there's some really good animation on like, not just all of Kashmir's movements are great. And like, she's, they find a way to like put sex appeal into, uh, to her dancing, even in the limited animation of TV. And meanwhile, I really like the, the animation of Homer slowly like uh, loosening up and then really getting into it as he's dancing. Yeah. And we see that still photo a lot. And I love the uh, just belly bursting out of the shirt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so cute. Uh, and uh, yes, Bart on his way to the bathroom. Here's the noise. Spots his dad. And uh, for the last time in the episode, uses his spy camera to take a photo because it, it has done its uh, plot necessary move there. The way his eyes widen when he sees his dad is like, it's subtle enough, but it's mm. so good. Like, I really like the animation of it. Yeah, I, I love a Simpsons eye bulge. They can, uh, they, you, I think that's the type of move they don't do anymore in the show, but it, it, you know, you got to do it a little subtly. They can't, like, you know, bug out of their heads like in a Tex Avery cartoon, but just a little bulge on like a reaction or a line reading, I think can add so much to a scene. Mm hmm. 
And uh, yes, Bart takes his picture and we all see what the picture looks like. And yeah, I mean, when you see that picture, you're like, why did this go viral? For for what reason? Because, okay, so Homer is a large man next to an attractive, scantily clad woman. At first, it seems like it went viral because people are laughing at it, that it's a funny image to see this, you know, overweight man with his gut hanging out, uh, dancing with an attractive lady. But then it transitions to everybody thinking he's a sex machine because because of this uh, embarrassing, honestly, photo for Homer. Yeah, I mean, on the commentary recorded like 20 years ago, John Vitti was like, I don't I don't understand why people care about this photo. It's not <laughs> it's not that crazy. It's yeah. uh, two people dancing together. I just don't understand why the town <laughs> caught on fire and why Homer's like a local celebrity now. The photography club does seem to think it's like a really special piece of photography, though, mm-hmm. like the framing or the <laughs> composition of it or something. But I like that there's no background, really, when you see it. Yeah. Like he, like he just managed to capture the two of them. There's some ethereal quality to this photo. I mean, it's a great shot for Bart doing it like freehand without even looking <laughs> through the camera. It's it's yeah. it's impressive in that way. But when the idea is a viral sex tape, but you replace a viral sex tape with a photograph, they want to still do the story of like, oh, everybody has seen Rob Lowe have sex, so now they think he's some Lothario. They want to still tell that kind of story, but with but removing actually seeing, say, Homer in a sex tape or whatever. That's is probably why John Vitti feels his Larry Sanders episode that is simply about a sex tape deals with this a lot better. Hmm. And and it's more about Hank's humiliation and everybody viewing it. It's not so much about, you know, dancers or performers in fact the show treats the women in the video as like nothing they don't no one talks about them no one comments on them they just uh are appreciating seeing hank uh in having sex and laughing at him being naked and in a in a three-way as well which is it's so strange to me because i feel like the first sex tapes that i was aware of were like the pamela anderson sex tape or like Mm. even the kim kardashian sex tape and it was about like i can't believe they did that how terrible Mm. um so it is a weird thing for me hearing more of the context and being like focusing on the man in the sex tape instead of the women is just so foreign to me (laughs) but also at least like princess cashmere does get she you know she had you know the whole point of the episode is that she's more than just the prop in that photo yeah yeah which i from just the description of the episode the sex tape episode you're saying sounds like this Simpsons episode handles it better and you know, but I haven't seen the other show. Mm. So. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're uncomfortable seeing Jeffrey Tambor and stuff now, I don't think you'll want to watch it, yeah, but I probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get past that, then it's, it's still funny. If you can, if you can mentally put yourself in 1997 or so <laughs> and, and just be like, Oh, I remember Janine Garofalo and stuff and Wally George. <laughs> what a good time. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so uh, come back from the break. They're developing the photos. Uh, Martin is voiced by, I believe, Joanne Harris in this scene. Not Rusi Taylor. Yeah, in this v- scene. very clearly not Rusi Taylor. Yeah. That's also why I think Martin feels a little off in being attracted to women in this sequence. I, <laughs> as as a Martin is gay truther, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, don't I I just uh, my head canon is that he's trying to fit in by being like uh, as as many gay people have done. Like, oh yes, that person of the opposite sex is very mm. attractive. I agree. <laughs> But yes, Bart is showing off his sexy photo. <laughs> My goodness. 
quite exciting. Extremely sensual. Beach, Tunnel Grey Tones recall the work of Helmut Newton. Who's the sexy lady, Bart? Beats me, but the guy dancing with her's my pop. Wow! He brings to mind the later work of Diane Arbus. Bart, I'd really appreciate a print of your masterwork. Me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Come on. Sorry, guys. No can do. Oh. Come on, Bart. You're gonna make me a print, aren't you? Will you swear not to let another living soul get a copy of this photo? Okay. Cross your heart and hope to die? Yep. Stick a needle in your eye? Yep. Jam a dagger in your thigh? Yep. Eat a horse manure pie? Yep. Well, okay. Psst, look what I got. Whoa, I gotta have a copy of that. Sorry. Oh, come on. Well, okay. <laughs> That's Man, Nelson's voice. It I, is, yeah. I forgot that that is the dot-eyed bald kid, uh, not Nelson in that section. <laughs> and I'm so glad they got rid of the voice of the kid who was talking about Diane Arbus and Helmut Newton. Mm. Like, we heard that little kid voice in, I think, uh, Bart the Genius, too. It's it's so grating. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the, vo- the work of Helmut Newton. <laughs> like, I hate it. I th- and he's also, the design of the kid is the kid that Bart slaps in Bart the General. Oh, it is. Got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess, I mean... Uh, uh, I did a tiny bit of research on Helmut Newton and Diane Arbus uh, for this, if you guys want to hear. Helmut Newton uh, is, is, uh, passed away, widely regarded as a great black and white photographer of uh, the 60s into the 90s. Uh, very famous for uh, doing you know, celebrity photographs for uh, publications like Vogue, but also doing a lot of sexy stuff and a lot of nude photography, especially uh, did some, a number of pictorials for Playboy and uh, also did a lot of stuff involving like fetish play and a lot of kink stuff that uh, was uh, new to the American eyes back then. So he, so when the one kid is like, Oh, it's like Helmut Newton. He, he means a sexy photograph of a lady. Meanwhile, Diane Arbus, from my understanding, more of an avant-garde photographer who did do nudes, but more took photos of like life and subjects that the world ignores, like a, an entire photo series about little people or weird looking kids you just see somewhere. Like she just takes these, you know, very candid photos of, of folks that normally didn't get photographed by, you know, fancy magazines. And so when the kid compares Homer to the subject of a Diane mm. Arbus photo. She, he means a freak, is what he said. Oh, so they're they're actually very smart references. Yes, yeah. I know nothing wow. about the world of photography. Actually, I had to do about <laughs> thirty minutes of research to, wow. to understand this joke. There's a story in the comments. So there's a very famous Diane Arbus photo. It's of a little boy holding like a toy hand grenade and making like a crazy face. Mm. In an early interview for the show, Matt Groening said Bart's based on that little boy. Just a, <laughs> just he was just being a little stinker, and uh, people took him seriously. Yeah. And uh, uh, he stopped telling that story. Uh, it's funny. You know, eventually you got to stop pranking your interviewers. But if you look up Diane Arbus Grenade Boy, you'll find it. It's quite a picture. Uh, I got to think that Bart. Is a- very high level joke. Yes. Yeah. It. Uh, this feels like the Harvard boys showing off again. Mm hmm. Uh, why is Bart so protective of the photo? You'd think Bart would want to stir up trouble with his spy camera. Yeah, and embarrass his father. Like, yeah. He's yeah. much more innocent in season one. That's true. <laughs> Maybe he knows that Maybe Bart's getting, you know, he's he's enjoying the status of holding this photo that nobody else has, even though they all want it. Maybe, maybe it's that. I uh, and also like Bart stopped participating in the photography club right after this scene. As well. <laughs> uh, we never see that club ever again. Yeah, but uh, I also, you know, I talk about scenes that feel very Matt Groening. Uh, the 
uh, swear, cross your heart and hope to die. That whole thing with Millhouse feels very, very graining to me of just a uh, observation about childhood and this uh, very complicated promise you make to another boy, especially like the the little pause Millhouse has on eat a horse manure pie. Pretty, <laughs> pretty good. But of course, Millhouse instantly breaks it, and this is how all things go viral. You you share it with one person, and then they make a copy, and they make a copy. There should have been an NDA. <laughs> Uh, and uh, also in the somebody should get fired for that blunder territory, <laughs> the copy machine on the front says five cents. But then when we see the coin slot, it says 10 cents. Uh, they changed the price on the coin slot, but not the machine. Oh, uh, okay. Inflation. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. Uh, and so as the photo is being passed around, Bart then even gives it to his friend, Lewis, which Lewis is right. Ba- Millhouse is an equal friend to Bart at this point. As Lewis <laughs> is. Richard gets it as well, but Richard is drawn when like he has like his teeth sticking out. He's drawn in a goofy way, not how Richard is normally drawn. And then we see adults getting it. And I feel like if this was a later season, they would be people we know, not yes, like yeah. guy with giant weird head. That forehead guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's very distracting. Or um, 50s dad, like uh, who's the father of the bald kid whose skin is yellow in his next appearance, which that's a uh, real goof him up there. But his like that den where the dad is like he's in a full suit sitting in his den smoking a pipe. It's like this is, you know, this is Mad Men right here. This is not a 1990 living room. Sure. And the fireplace is roaring. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if, he, if he had a highball in his hand, it would be complete, I think. To also reference I did, just got for the first time, the, the, the large four-headed man, he's Al, and he's talking to his friend Mike. So I think that's a Gene and Reese reference Ah, uh, you're right. I didn't, I didn't get that until no, this point. No, that's got to yeah. be right. I mean, we've heard like Kogan and Waldarski so far mm-hmm. on the show. And those are so obvious the second you hear them, you notice it. But when a character is named Al and is talking to Mike, you just go like, yeah, that's just, those are names. <laughs> and uh, we also, I think for the only time ever see Lovejoy's receptionist is she drops off his, uh, the photo to him and he's shocked like the sheep is strayed from my own flock. <laughs> uh, and also Burns gets it and he's, uh, I do love that our self-styled Valentino. That's a, that's a good line. But yes, uh, I also think it's interesting that the way Marge finds the photo, uh, one, the way the photo is put up, that makes it fit more with my original understanding that people are laughing at Homer. The joke is about Homer's body, especially because the one that Marge sees, there's an arrow pointing to his gut and it's like, get ready for summer. Oh uh, yeah, like bathing suit season's coming yes, or whatever. that's right. From yeah. Marge's famous aerobics class. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so bad for this is back when they were like, yeah, of course, Marge would, you know, do things outside of the house and have female friends. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, after, after season one, they're like, oh, no, Marge has no life. Outside Marge of can't the house. leave the home. <laughs> That's the joke. She's trapped there. <laughs> uh, but yes, then uh, in our next scene, we have uh, an important moment. The first scene between Homer and Apu, the majority of scenes Apu has are with Homer like they and now they're best friends. Friends. I mean, yeah. as of season uh, nine, I guess they're like, yeah. hey, Apu, how's it going? No, yeah. In, in season nine and ten, Scully especially, I think, embraced the idea of like, well, we can do these Mo scenes where Homer shows up at the bar and like, hey, Mo, how's it going? But if we want to do that with a second character, 
Apu's who you go to, and it's just like Homer goes there. He's like, hey, I'm eating candy, Apu. What's going on? And uh, and yes, yeah, it's Apu. We all know it's a it's a problem. We've been through but this. Yes, yeah. But yes, there's uh, this is an important first meeting in this clip between Homer and Apu. Also, I feel this is the first joke they ever do with Apu that's actually like a joke. One glaze and one scratch and win, please. You look familiar, sir. Are you on the television or something? Sorry, buddy. You got me confused with Fred Flintstone. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Liberty Bell. <gasps> Another Liberty Bell. One more, and I'm a millionaire. Come on, Liberty Bell. Please, 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 please. No! That purple fruit thing. Where were you yesterday? Hey, hey! Looking good. What do you want, pal? Hey, mister. Do, 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 do. Well, a doody, doody, do to you, too, pint size. Please. <laughs> You got a lot of nutcases in here. Oh, sir, I've seen things you can't imagine. Hey, hey, hey! I hear you, buddy! <laughs> Full moon. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> still got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only attention he wants. Yeah, I love that Homer, even in that scenario with girls like cheering at him, that probably never happens to him ever. He's like, eh, still got it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I what I think is the first time they did a joke with Apu is just him saying, "I've seen things you wouldn't believe." Like <laughs> that, the the life of a convenience store clerk. He's probably seen a lot of horrible things. That's very true. <laughs> and uh, a real wink to the audience there with the like, "You got me confused with Fred Flintstone." The women are very Muppet like. Oh yes, yeah. it's a problem. Like if you get the style wrong, I've noticed they just become Muppets. Mm. They become drawn Muppets. Yeah, or like home movies character. Faces, <laughs> that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, though I mean, they got banging bodies, but yeah, their faces. It's a weird. It's a weird shot. It is. And uh, well, also like the duty do kid. Like I uh. think I think when Homer has his like arms on his hips and his feet kind of pointed out, he looks like Fred Flintstone. Mm. And it almost feels like an extra joke to me. And also the duty do kid is standing in front of the wall of chips that Homer will jump oh. into in Krusty gets busted. Interesting. And uh, yeah, the uh, also the the guy with his uh, butt crack hanging out. <laughs> Jesus, that's uh, that's a guy who will illegally install homer's cable oh, in wow. the future so uh, they didn't let that uh, design go to waste <laughs> the butt crack the all valuable all important butt crack design it's quite a but like in life on the fast lane they'd show jacques butt crack very briefly and it's much tinier than the crack on this guy though i guess we fully see bart's butt in this so this is this is a crack heavy episode <laughs> of the show uh and so homer comes home he's even whistling the duty do song to himself that's pretty fun this also you know the sequence of him coming home and not realizing it way funnier version of it done in maggie makes three that's exactly what yeah. i was thinking of like he doesn't get why people are like you know cheering him on this is rather abstract but yes thank you i do enjoy working at the bowling alley uh, the package is little but it's not about the money uh, but yes homer comes home and marge is not happy what is the meaning of this uh, uh, meaningless marge don't even attempt to find meaning in it there's nothing between me and princess cashmere princess who Hey, my photo. Your, your photo? photo. Uh-oh. Why are you little? Why are you big? <laughs> Bart, go to your room. I'm out of here. Look, Marge, honey, baby. Homer? Doll? I, I don't even want to look at you right now. What are you saying, honey? <gasps> but where will I sleep? My suggestion is for you to sleep in the filth you created. 
Would a motel be okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's music. Oh, I knew you'd come to your... Here. If you have any soul left, you'll need these. I know I will. <laughs> I felt very Jim Brooks, that line. Too. Yeah, and like another, like the act break of him, like crying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, that music. I know. Sad times. Yeah. And we're, then... we're big. We're anti uh, Richard, Richard Gibb, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's the first composer on the season, and he was fired for a reason. <laughs> Tone it down, Richie. Uh, it's just, it, we... is, it is a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, like the joke is that Homer turns around and gets, you know, thinks that Marge is uh, taking him back, but she's really throwing a suitcase at him having the sound of like like it abruptly hitting it like plays it too hard it plays it too obvious and also just the pacing of that scene it the joke takes way too long for homer to think like oh she did take me back and then she throws something out that's right like he should turn around and immediately as he's turning around the suitcase hits but he turns around it's like four or five seconds and then like he should see the suitcase coming yeah uh, it's uh, the pacing is very swimmy yeah Especially because I feel like the photo going viral is like a big chunk of the episode. And then this scene is paced so strangely. It's it's a weird middle. Well, the third act also has some problems, too, I think. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, even though I think this episode's heart is in the right place, but yeah, it also is... In general, like most season one episodes, they were figuring out the structure of what a Simpsons episode is as they wrote it. They didn't know mm-hmm. it until they see it animated, really. But uh, Homer looking sad at the camera was also used as an act break in uh, the Christmas special, right? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they, uh, they they want you to feel like, oh, poor Homer is sad. Like he's, yeah, the act break in the first act of the Christmas special is Homer uh, looking at uh, how little he has in the Ned's place and then staring at the ground yeah i mean also in the christmas special like homer just a single single tear rolling down his face outside the 99 cent store is like it's just played real you're just like oh this poor father but uh yes homer is kicked out i oh i do want to say marge should always strangle homer when he's about to strangle bart she should never let that happen that's true right <laughs> I like this is the only time that I recall her strangling Homer. Is there any other time? Boy, I know Homer starts. Okay, when Bart burns down the Christmas tree and tells them that he did it, Homer strangles Bart, and then Lisa joins in and kicking Bart, and then Marge grabs Homer from behind, and I think that's kind of like a strangling, but I can't. It's not coming to me right now any other time Marge strangled Homer. I had to look up where the line came from, but it's actually next year Blood Feud. Homer strangles Bart, and Uh then she goes, you should be strangling yourself. (laughs) She's right. She's right. And he even, like, reaches to his throat. Yeah. And, like, he's done way stupider things, but this is... I just... The punishment does not fit the crime, but I do appreciate her strangling Homer for once. The attempted child abuse is much worse than uh, him dancing with uh, Kashmir yes. consensually. <laughs> you know, our values were all screwed up in the 90s. That's just how it was. 
<laughs> the go-go 90s <laughs> yes homer getting kicked out like that's uh i don't know marge could listen a little bit but i guess it's it's more the humiliation of it too you know like she she just got so embarrassed though when bart says hey my photo i feel like they should have investigated that more <laughs> yeah <you know? laughs> find out how this happened maybe even bart could give some important context of that was at a stag party and i took a picture of it marge that dad didn't do anything marge was like an inattentive mother because it was like uh mom bart's trying to take a picture of his butt get ready for dinner you two yes. like <laughs> no no it's like bart don't misuse a camera it's a very yeah. destructive tool yeah. if you misuse it please don't do that well they're not listening to her anyway though she told them to put on nice clothes before going to the uh rusty barnacle and then mm. they wore the same clothes that is true <laughs> lack of communication yeah, i didn't even notice that uh but yeah so we come back from the commercial break homer is at moe's drowning his sorrows it's it's ladies night to have another reference to like women in the world and how they're treated i like the design on the sad female barfly the the only woman who would be caught dead at moe's i think <laughs> we don't see a lot of the female barfly anymore no yeah the well in the future they would say that uh there haven't been any ladies in his bar since 1987 I think oh yeah is what he that's, says. that's his office yes yeah or else there's a better ladies night joke of like uh, this ladies night is turning bitterly ironic i, I believe but oh no sorry that's happy hours bitterly ironic apologies so homer is uh is drowning his sorrows and it's a good thing he's got friends like barney <laughs> what's the matter homer hottest ladies night in months and you're not even checking out the action oh mo my wife gave me the old heave hole because of some lousy picture what this one don't <laughs> so uh where you staying tonight homer motel i guess oh no no pal of mine is gonna stay in some dingy flop house <sighs> if you get hungry in the middle of the night there's an open beer in the fridge look barney see the row of tiny lights up there the middle one is my house someone must have left a porch light on hey that's rough pal hello marge you left your damn porch light on barney homer's not made of money you know don't listen to him marge he's Oh, Homer, you're, you're overwrought. Why don't you unwind a little bit? Party down in the hall. You know, this apartment complex caters to upscale young singles like me. <coughs> no, Barn. I just want to crawl into bed. Suit yourself, Homer. Nighty-night. So I just noticed in the mix, there's another Patsy Cline song playing in Moe's, uh, Crazy. We heard I Fall to Pieces in Homer's Odyssey. And that was the thing about Moe's. Like every time you saw it, there'd be a new depressing song playing in the background. They quickly got rid of that. Uh, it's just very distracting and expensive for little yeah. uh, reward. Too. Even if it's, right. cl it's clearly like a cover, like a, like a cover mm. version of it. Still, you have to pay money for that. Uh and it, and it just plays the emotion too, obviously, like uh, crazy for being so lonely because yeah. Homer's lonely. I get it. Yeah. And this apartment apparently was based on an uh, apartment that the director shared with Jim Reardon and other uh, animators in L.A. <laughs> at the time. Uh, so a real 
piece of shit apartment. Yes, yeah. I many a bachelor has lived in an uh, ugly apartment like that. You've, I think, Bob, you you saw my uh, shameful way I lived in my uh, full <laughs> bachelorhood. You didn't. Oh, you did say, "Don't tell anyone how I live." I did. I think I literally said that. I was like, "This is a joke," but also don't. I'm, I'm referencing The Simpsons, but also don't tell anyone. <laughs> I, I love the reveal when he turns the lights on. It's like a Where's Waldo. There's so much detail <laughs> and just like trash everywhere. Uh, and there's so many great details in there, like the bare speakers that are just on the ugly ass shelf or the the table that's just one of those you know spools the, the cable giant spools, spools. Yeah. yeah or uh, also like there's a there's a humphrey bogart poster and a ferret faucet poster like the yeah. ferret faucet poster is there too yeah it's like that was the uh i don't know what the the, the famous poster is now that's in every college dorm room but in our time it was like scarface uh, the scarface yes, poster yeah. or like the matrix poster or whatever or the two girls kissing poster yeah i thought it was the two girls kissing still that was the most recent viral poster i'd heard of. but in the 70s it was that it was farrah fawcett sorry it was farrah fawcett and Bogart, and maybe einstein sticking out his tongue if you want to get yes, crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get real wild and quick <laughs> And also, like, you put up, uh, you know, like, say, a Pulp Fiction or a Fight Club poster to show how cool you were, I think were I had too. a Fight Club yeah. poster in my room. Uh, I had Pulp I Fiction. I had a Pink Floyd's The Wall poster that said, Mother, Can I Trust the Government in my dorm Nice. Nice. I... <laughs> Which is extremely on brand. <laughs> uh, one of my most beloved posters was... When I worked in an AMC theater and you could get posters from work, I called like, I got to get the the first Kill Bill poster. And like, I obviously I could buy a Kill Bill poster if I wanted to. I could easily afford <laughs> it. But I wanted to have the one that came from the movie theater. Like it felt extra special to me. And eventually I threw that out when I, I moved. I was like, I'm not I'm not putting up posters in my new place. Like now I, I don't put up posters. I put up framed things. Things. They're not posters. It's nice. Yeah. They're posters in frames. No, yeah. I don't see an actual traditional poster anywhere here. Uh, well, I guess an Avengers thing behind you. It's all it's, it's framed. It's all art. Yes. Though. No. Yeah. Not, not like a movie poster. <laughs> One thing I noticed is like this is the rare like mean drunk Barney. He's usually yeah. pretty pretty pleasant as a drunk, but he's like, no, I'm gonna call up your wife and yell at her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Dan the burp. For... It's so visceral too. Oh yeah. Like a lot of the the beer drinking and the the party scene the at the restaurant is also very it's a lot very guttural yeah there's... His, his his burps take on a little more of a cartoonish tone they eventually so... find one burp to use for every character mm-hmm. yeah yeah the in general it feels more like real the drinking here it feels like actual like drunk energy instead of the cartoonish drunks we see in in later seasons yeah i i also think like dan forgot how to do barney's voice like he sounds wrong here like oh, that's a bad deal like, he doesn't he doesn't sound like barney fully i think they didn't i don't think they played back an episode for him <laughs> to be like oh no this is what barney sounded like remember <laughs> and barney he appara- also says marge so he says it like my marge? <laughs> <laughs> says the R differently than normal or something. It it, it definitely caught my attention. Uh, and one thing I noticed is that he goes to like a, a swinging 70s singles party. There's like disco yeah. music playing as Homer just like <laughs> stares at the sky uh, this or is, the ceiling rather on this, a fold out couch. This is a far more um, active Barney than uh, than we're used to. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I like the little detail of Homer sleeping on the fold out couch and using he's using one of the couch cushions as a pillow. He doesn't have like a proper pillow like that. And the uh, I wasn't their intention when they did this episode. But, you know, in uh, season three. 
three, they would retcon it that Homer and Barney lived together before Homer and Marge moved in together. Mm. So this kind of is Homer moving back into his old apartment. That's true. In a way. Also out of character for Barney is that he keeps an open beer in the fridge. Like he would have drank that beer. That should be consumed it. immediately. <laughs> yeah, right? Like what? Yeah, that's not on brand. <laughs> There's also like a very weird uh, and pointless scene after this where just like, when's dad coming home? Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Just like, we need to check in. I, I guess, guess I guess they wanted to show you that there was pain in the family. It feels it feels like one of those like Jim Brooks. We need to see. We need to feel how this is get, uh, hurting the family kind I, of thing. I don't recall anything like special. Like Marge is like clearly feeling guilty or sad. It's not, I mean it doesn't really. I don't know what Marge is feeling. But then Lisa's just like I wonder when Dad's coming home. And I don't think Bart says anything. Does he? No. Okay. Which, which no. Bart should feel a little bad about this. Honestly, like he caused this. But uh, yeah. But his part <laughs> in all this is just dropped at this point i was gonna say like they don't interrogate that at all like that scene could at least have been used for that purpose and instead it's just kind of like more sad yeah time yeah and it's just people like people are sad the kids are uncomfortable and like marge gives a look of like maybe i was too harsh or whatever like it's just it's weird it's weird also, the way they play things like Homer being called into Burns's office, I'm used to him having such extreme reactions to that of just like screaming out loud, <laughs> seeing the normal reaction of Homer going like, oh, no, <laughs> it, it feels too underplayed. And I think there's some joke about him not getting enough sleep because he's just like chugging coffee. Oh, you're right. But it's like super, yeah. it's super underplayed, like a lot of stuff in season one. They like don't they don't play it up enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah I missed that entirely, actually. Homer must have like kept his key card with him or whatever when he came home because he just goes back to work and he still has all his like work stuff. Uh, yeah, so this next scene with Burns calling him into the office, uh, VD tweeted about this saying that this was the first scene with Burns he had written. He instantly fell in love with Burns and wanted to write him all the time. <laughs> uh, and he also says that from his first draft, this scene with uh, Burns was uh, completely unchanged. So this was kept from his first draft. Uh, Burns at first chews out Homer telling him like, is the family company our, our research indicates that 50% of our power is used by women. That's a great, uh, <laughs> very subtle joke. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Because because to explain the joke, <laughs> women are 15% of the population, and in that they use power as much as anyone else, that they are 50% of the customers of a power plant. Just uh, just to make it fully explained. <laughs> and I, like the cust can the, the can the customers opt out of using power? Using yeah, electricity? So, just like, well, yeah. no electricity for me. A sexist works at that power plant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. It's uh, the pains of privatization, as we've all learned uh, over the years. Woof, yeah. Maybe yeah. in 1990, you could choose your like electricity provider. Yeah, sure. You know, I <laughs> hear knows? that people love the freedom of choosing their providers. Yeah. Nothing is choice. more important than choice. If I were to lose <laughs> my choice to go to one of five businesses, then I may as well move to Russia. And if that choice is on a confusing website, then <laughs> so be it. Oh, God. It's even, it's even a better way to have choice. A website made by the government? It's like the future uh, anyway. for more money than it's worth yeah <laughs> uh we're doing this at the end of a long primary season guys so uh to, to fully date this <laughs> anyway burns is chewing him out with smithers looking over his shoulder the whole time but then as smithers is dismissed and burns reveals his true motive our research indicates that over 50 percent of our power is used by women I will not have you offending my customers with your body shenanigans. They won't happen again, sir, I promise. 
May I get out of your sight now? Just a second, Simpson. Smithers, would you leave the room for a minute? Yes, sir. Simpson, I am by most measures a successful man. I have wealth and power beyond the dreams of you and your clock-punching ilk. <laughs> and yet, I've led a solitary life. The fair sex remains a mystery to me. You seem to have a way with women, a certain, how shall I put it, animal magnetism. Help me, Simpson. Tell me your secret. Uh, Mr. Burns, in spite of what everybody thinks, I'm no lover boy. Simpson, I'm asking you nicely. I don't really know, sir. Simpson! Well, I write them, uh, dine them, bring them flowers, write them love poetry, sir. Of course. It's simplicity itself. I won't forget this, Simpson. Now return to your work and tell no one of what transpired here. I confuse this for a later scene in uh, season two when Homer grows hair and Burns uh, wants to know what his secret is for being so like powerful. That's right. <laughs> I mean, this uh, is an important moment, I think. In, uh, this is not the first time Burns has forgotten who Homer is, though that was an extra joke I realize now of Burns telling him, I won't forget this when like this is the fourth time he's met Homer at this point and has forgotten him. The setup here with Burns is that you could have assumed at this point, if you're a viewer, Burns is married or he has a, a, a wife or something for him. Then to say, I have no knowledge of the fair sex. I'm just alone. You're just like, oh, okay. And like now him being a stingy bachelor in his evil mansion is so core to Burns. Like uh, it's, a, it's an important moment, I think. Yeah. You can't see him with a wife. Ugh, or a no. partner of any kind. I don't know. There's there's a lot to the scene, but the, the thing that makes me laugh the most is the way he pronounces magnetism. I I mm. really just love Burns' like old-fashioned way of talking. So on top of that, I'm picturing him as being like a 100-year-old virgin <laughs> and living in him. Like, I, I, I like how it all coalesces. Um, and it, it does seem like Burns is a very well-established character because it's not oh, like yeah. hearing him back, it's not like Lenny or Carl where you're like, that's not even the right person. Um, yeah, even the way he's acted is so is so solid. Yeah, they they're so into Burns now that they can even find this new dimension of him, like showing a little vulnerability to Homer, of like Homer, I need your help, like and just him standing at the window and looking out, like that. That's a level. It's surprising to see them play Burns at who originally started as like Mister Meany, the mean <laughs> boss. <laughs> that was another good tweet I saw from Vidi when doing research. Was uh, not about this episode, but just him saying Vidi remembers being in the room where they get back the design, the original design for Mister Burns, and Sam Simon's reaction like, "No, no, this is all wrong," and he draws That's the right. vulture-like guy right in the room. Like Vidi, Vidi got to see that that sounded really cool but yes homer i also love that homer gives burns the absolutely most obvious uh things you'd say about how to uh date like find them dine them <laughs> buy them flowers write them poetry <laughs> which burns will write poetry in that's the future. true that's yeah <laughs> or a mash note i guess as he calls it <laughs> 
But I also find it impossible to believe that no matter how evil he is, that no one would want to marry a billionaire. I feel pretty sure someone would want to. Uh, But anyway, yes, Homer then finally heads home. There's an interesting design with him I like uh, that I only picked up on this time. His clothes are supposed to look rumpled like he slept in them, but I I never caught that. Like his, the end of his shirt cuffs are kind of wavy, I guess, but they don't really know how to do it with this art style. (laughs) I mean, when we see him get kicked out later in season five, he like grows like a thicker beard. He's got a rope belt. His pants yeah. are frayed. His shirt is gray. His, his clothes officially become tattered. Yeah. Like his tattered clothes. My tattered rags are caught on your coffee table. <laughs> yeah, he mostly just looks like, like you said, just wavy. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get it on this viewing. I feel like in the past, I totally didn't pick up on it, though. There's a little moment where Bart is like, it's good to see you back. Like Homer's like, oh, thanks. Like it's, I guess that is him forgiving Bart for taking the picture. I, I suppose that's the most emotional closure we're going to get in that bit with Homer and Bart. I really love the way Lisa says hi, daddy. Yeah. Um, I think I've talked about it before. I love like Homer and Lisa moments. You don't get a lot of those. I've always related to Lisa and like watching the Simpsons was something that I did specifically with my dad. And my dad is definitely not a Homer Simpson, but I, the parallels at least in the relationship, like I enjoy so much about the Simpsons. So that Aww. moment is so good to me. Like the just the delivery of the line is so strong. It's very sweet. And uh, we really don't hear Lisa's perspective on this. It'd be interesting if we did. I think they yeah. probably would explore that because it's a, like yeah. a feminist episode or trying to grasp the feminist themes. Yeah. That's true. If, uh, you know, in a in a modern telling of this episode, I would have liked to see a scene where perhaps like Lisa explains, you know, the importance of respecting sex workers and sex work is work kind of kind of position. Yeah, exa- that is definitely Lisa's role. If you think about who Lisa is as a character. Yeah, so, yeah. like just the letting people know, like, well, don't don't look at Princess Cashmere as dirty just because of the job she does like that. Yeah. We, we don't we all use our bodies to earn money in a way like <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> but yes, Homer comes home and he even admits like I at least like that as a bad husband. He admits that his apology is meaningless from the start. Like he's like, I he, he doesn't know what he's apologizing for. Other than that, he is alone. He just her. wants to say the magic words to yeah. make the fight go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Though the animation choice of like Homer getting like a ring of stuff around his mouth if he like drinks milk or drinks something. Mm. It's, yeah, it's always distracting. <laughs> it shows he's still a slob, even though he's not drinking from the carton. Uh, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, but yes, why do we hear Homer's uh, important apology? Look, I'm not drinking out of the carton. Come on, Mart, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Homer, you don't even know why you're apologizing. Yes, I do. Because I'm hungry. My clothes are smelly and I'm tired. I've been thinking, Homer. And you know what bothers me the most about this whole thing? You taught Bart a very bad lesson. Your boy idolizes you. Oh, he does not. Yes, he does, Homer. And when he sees you treating women as objects, he's going to think that it's okay. You owe your son better than that, Homer. So what should I do, Marge? Well... I think you should take Bart to meet this exotic belly person. I want him to see that she's a real human being with real thoughts and real feelings. I want Bart to see you apologize for the way you treated her. Okay, your wish is my command, my little... Do it! <laughs> I don't think Marge knows why she's been in this, uh, yeah. in this fight. It's weird. To be the Lisa Simpson talking about sex workers... Like he didn't treat her poorly at all, you know, like she she was doing her job and that's part of her job is men looking at her. So what what lesson I guess the only 
thing to teach Bart is that like you know you don't have to do this to be a man but sure that's that's the hang-up I have with Marge here is like you know Homer didn't treat her like an object he danced with her and didn't touch her and it is her job to be looked at so yeah and she wasn't disgusted or reluctant she was like well this is my job get up here and dance with me she reached out to homer and was like hey yeah. you come on up here and dance yeah and, and she didn't go like you crossed the line or she's like hey get away from me it's not that homer i mean if this was like homer you know touching her and then her saying don't do that like then there's a lesson to be learned there like right and and also like what princess cashmere that day wasn't signing up for was photographs and bart taking a photograph without permission that he broke That's, a rule there that's more. the problem yeah. yeah yeah like bart violated the the agreement and mm-hmm. consent and now everyone's seen a picture of her yeah that she hasn't approved of uh but i guess okay from marge's perspective i do agree with her idea of just the like if bart just sees this woman earlier in the episode bart says i don't know but that's my the other guy there's my pops mm-hmm. he doesn't maybe see her as a person he's just like that's a sexy girl in a photo that's mm. that's all yeah, she is to true. me so yeah. marge wanting bart to know who she is yeah. that makes some sense i can see that there's I, yeah there's a seat there I do feel like not to litigate this too much, but I do feel like that the problem the problem is that Homer didn't tell Marge that he was going to a stag party, but Homer also didn't know he was going to a stag party. Or at least he, he, he knew he was going to be smoking and drinking, but yeah. entertainment was not on the menu as far as he knew. Exactly. And this thing happened and he just sort of played along with it because it was just part of the fun and he didn't do anything inappropriate. The The argument should have been like, you should have told me this is the kind of party you're at, mm-hmm. but also they want to make him innocent in some ways yeah and make it so like well homer just caught up in the fun he didn't know he was going to go see a woman dance for him or whatever so the show is not like it's not it's just kind of like muddy you know this whole this whole fight well and marge is just so much of the sitcom battle axe wife a bit in this scene of just like i'm mad and the husband who just has to go like well i'm sorry then like there's (laughs) they it it feels like people are not investigating more why they're mad or anything i also love i love the line because it's supposed to be like a weighty line but even in this early part of the show it doesn't really work like your boy idolizes you yes no homer is bart's hero is that the premise of the show now yeah that is an <laughs> odd choice i mean yeah. <laughs> they play with that a little bit in the telltale head but oh, yeah. like um maybe they play with it in this season a little but after mm-hmm. this like bart is like disgusted by homer bart is horrified at the idea of growing up to be homer mm-hmm. he despises homer like the only joy he gets out of homer is like humiliating yes, him yeah. and sometimes they have a touching moment but it's for, for the sake of like a resolution to something yeah he has more of a connection with homer than bart does i feel like yeah as, as we know the the most intense feeling positive Ho- bart feels towards homer is yeah. less shame less shame <laughs> I, uh, I maybe it's just her projecting what she thinks her family is because she's clearly not paying much attention yeah yeah that's true <laughs> and if they wanted this to be like the message of the episode we would see bart like repeating the things homer does or like mm. being sexist right. or something but they we just remove bart from the story once yeah. the picture is taken now I I do think, you know, the plot reason why they want Marge to in, 
to force Homer to take Bart with him is because it's the, of the comedy of the unintended consequence that Marge wants Bart to think of women, to objectify women less, and instead her instruction makes Bart go to multiple strip clubs he shouldn't be at at the age of 10. So I, I like that comedy there. Uh, also, it's uh, it's interesting to me in today's day and age, like the idea of like, yeah, you don't know the name of this sex worker. Like these people are just, you know, they are object objectification in this sense does mean like they are an object to you. This isn't a person. This is just a, a collection of body parts. But now I think about like these days I see, I see a lot of my timeline right now, a lot of only fan accounts being promoted. I'm like, it's so the opposite. Like those are about fully knowing who the sex worker is. And you're like, yes, I'm directly paying you for your service. And you can like follow them on Twitter to see what they're doing. It's like, yes. there's more of a person there. If you want to opt into that part of it. Yeah. At least if you're the person who pays for porn in the, <laughs> in, in this day and age, which that is the ethical thing to do, especially if you're, you know, actually directly paying the people it's, it's just like Patreon. It's the Sims, you know, same situation. Yeah. And, and I, I do think like you, you're getting someone to pay rather than get something for free because of that added personal connection. It is, yeah. it's just a reversal of the dynamic. I think it's really interesting. Uh, but so Homer goes on a quest to find princess cashmere. And a lot of these exteriors are based on actual strip clubs in Hollywood at the time. They yeah. drove around taking pictures of the outside of strip clubs. <laughs> it's only for research. Only <laughs> for research. Uh, I think it's fitting. The first one he goes to is an Arabian Nights themed place because that did fit with the character she was playing when Homer met her. I have to assume Homer like called Carl and he's like, where'd you hire her? Where, where'd you get her from? <laughs> then the next place they go to like girl-esque is a weird pun name. It's, I mean, it's a pun on burlesque. burlesque. But, but yeah, I don't know if there's any more to that. I, well, I, uh, I, there's a very negative transphobic yeah. direction to take that. And I hope they don't mean it that way. I thought that this time, but they didn't really linger on it. So I just assume like, oh, it sounds like burlesque. <laughs> yes. And yeah. naturally there will be women at a burlesque show. So yeah. maybe just a redundant name for a, uh, a, a an establishment like that. <laughs> but yes, here's the, uh, the clip of them searching for Princess Cashmere. Princess Cashmere, you must mean April Flowers. She's working over at the burlesque. <laughs> Trying to teach my son here about treating women as objects. Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, but April's over at Foxy Boxing what? tonight. What? Just let me say that it is an honor to have Springfield's number one swinger here with Forget us. Get that! I'm teaching my boy a lesson. Is she here or not? Uh, try Mud City. Finally, Clark. We're gonna try one more place. I said look at the floor. <laughs> My favorite line in there is Homer saying, I'm trying to teach my boy something about treating women like objects. Well, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Hank Azaria is getting a workout in this episode. Yeah. he's uh, it's, it's the most he's had to do probably in the series to this point. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about the uh, ye old uh, off-ramp in. Mm. So that's the next place he pulls into, right? Yes. Yeah. That's the final place, which he calls Marge to tell him he's going there, which at least does set up plot wise why Marge shows up at the end of this episode. On the commentary, it's funny that they're like, wait, why is Marge here? They they forgot that they did explain it. Yeah. So I guess the joke in this, I just noticed because I pulled up a GIF of it, is that um, they pull into a handicap spot, which is just oh. totally, you, I probably the first time I saw that. Second <laughs> thing is like, I, I'm watching this on a bigger TV and I'm, I'm noticing a lot more 
more like uh, fixes. And, and like, so we talked about like the Apu video effect and the yeah. telltale head. There's the old off ramp in, and there's a sign that says what the show is. It's, it's like very illegible, but it's there. That sign is not part of the animation. That sign is a video layer oh. on top. If you watch it, the animation kind of dances under it, but the, the sign is like perfectly static. Oh, wow. And it's like, I feel like it was a, a fix, or maybe there was a sign there before that you couldn't read, mm. or maybe they knew it was too small, so they tried to make the text bigger. But even in its final form, it is like impossible to read because there's 40 words on it. It said, <laughs> Sapphire Lounge Reno-style review starring Gulliver Dark with 23 of the world's most beautiful women. On the screen, taking up maybe like 5% of that 4 by 3 space. You could never read that yeah. in time on an, at a 15-inch television. No way. But yeah, watch it closely because the rest of the scene is kind of dancing under it. Okay. But it is just perfectly still in space there. And uh, we could talk about Gulliver Dark because... Yeah, all right. Let's talk about it. I don't think we said this on the first time we did this. I don't remember. But this is the only time a Tracy Ullman show character crossed over into the Simpsons world. So Sam McMurray, who voices him in this episode, also played Gulliver Dark in the Tracy Ullman show. And no one remembers any Tracy Ullman characters. No, no. But this is one of them. And uh, there's like one sketch online on YouTube someone uploaded of him like sort of uh, pulling a very frumpy Tracy Ullman character up on stage or being very bashful about it. So Uh, Okay, so it's a lounge singer character in general. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I guess uh, Tracy Ullman show was running concurrently with The Simpsons at this time. So Mm. maybe a savvy viewer could be like, I recognize him. (laughs) This is before the lawsuit uh, that uh, that froze the waters. (laughs) It was. And I think this character, so this character design rather of Gulliver Dark figures into my favorite episode, Who Shot Mr. Burns? He is the singer of (gasps) Senor Burns. Oh, wow. You're right. Really? Yes. You're right. But it's not the same guy. It's the same design. And it's a, uh, you know, uh, Cuban, right? Probably. uh, Yeah. It's probably a Cuban guy. Yes. But not this this like, uh, you know, white lounge singer. He's uh, he's not white. Uh, it, wow, that uh, I didn't know all, uh, how real Gulliver Dark was, and what they they should have pushed it harder. He should have said, "That's right, I'm Gulliver Dark. It's me, your favorite character." But his name is there on the yeah, sign. It's weird. I, maybe they put that on the sign. Maybe the post-production, too, was they were like, okay, this actually will be Gulliver Dark, not just a guy, an unnamed guy who is similar to him. Maybe maybe it was a late decision to do that. And, of course, uh, Sam McMurray plays him. Yeah, yeah. I, wa- I want to talk a little about Sam McMurray, too. I mean, he's, he's great. He's just a... F- funny funny actor still still with us and still working at 68 years old and uh, actually like right before he got cast on tracy Ullman show he was in raising arizona and he's so funny in that he, yeah he <laughs> rules in that uh and in other favorite things of his he did he was in freaks and geeks as uh the jewish kid's dad he's so funny and also in uh, drop dead gorgeous he's uh kirstie alley's husband in that i believe he's he's really funny there i mean he's great at playing a friendly like red-nosed drunk that's kind of his his best characteristic and he did two voices before this in homer's odyssey he is like homer's weird co-worker that's just like grumble something at him yeah he's like yeah, they want to see donuts they busy in your house that's right? him and yeah. he's he's also like how about a nice cold duff yes he's the voice yeah. in the duff commercial <laughs> according to imdb but I, I know he is the the weird friend who's like you know if your kids want to see him laying around or eating or whatever yeah. no i i think you're right on both those and of uh, of course, Sam McMurray is one of those like two feet from stardom kind of guys. Like, not that he isn't famous and a well-respected actor, I'm sure, has a lot of money, but he is uh, like the b- 
most famous person on the Tracy Ullman show, other than Tracy Ullman, who did not get a regular voice on The Simpsons. And he, he, you know, could look at Dan and Julie and think like, I'm not a millionaire today because, or a multi-millionaire, but you guys are. This is tough. I, I looked it up. There was an AV Club interview with McMurray from a few years ago for their, uh, their great, no longer being done, I think, random roles interview thing where they just like kind of go through IMDb and read off like, oh, here's a random thing you did. Like, you never talk about this in interviews. And with McMurray, they did ask him about uh, playing the singer in this. And uh, <laughs> he tells the story. It sounds like he was he's finally getting over it. But uh, you see, when the Simpsons interstitial started, there was another cartoon on there. And McMurray was cast on that not simpsons doctor something or other yes the psychiatry cartoon yeah Yeah. and he said like i never did simpsons it uh really drives him crazy like he could have been on the show but it was dan and julie instead and in the interview uh he talks about you know he's kind of jealous but getting over it and he says uh quote so you know what are you gonna do sure i wasn't exactly thrilled last time i saw mac graining was doing futurama he said just think you could have been Homer Simpson. I was like, yeah, how about I throw you out the window? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Sam McMurray, he's uh, he's dealing with it well. Like, I mean, I think he does a great job. I bet his Homer would have been really good. But uh, actually, to go back to the Benita uh, Patelia story at the beginning, she wanted Dan to be homer too like it was her pick because she said she knew he could do a ton of great voices and so he'd be a good cast member on uh, on the cartoon gotta suck to be sam mcmurray sometimes i think god i would not get over that (laughs) i would so not get over that i was almost the most iconic cartoon character of the last 30 years how does eric (laughs) stoltz feel about all this oh yeah he well the marty mcfly for uh two weeks (laughs) (laughs) The uh, best but, two weeks of his life. <laughs> uh, but yes, they head inside the uh, off-ramp in, and uh, Bart finally, him and Homer, meet Princess Cashmere, and they get to know her. There she is. Hey, Princess, it's me, the guy from the Snapchat. Oh, <laughs> Oh, hi. Places, ladies. This is places. Can I get just a little cooperation? It's showtime. Look, I'm here because I want to apologize for treating you like an object. Uh-huh. I also want my boy to find out that you're more than just a belly. I want to meet the woman behind all the spangles and glitter and find out that she has thoughts and feelings, too. Oh, well, okay, but can we make it quick? Nice to meet you, ma'am. Could you tell him a little bit about yourself? Well, um, my real name's Shauna Tifton. Uh-huh. My pet peeve is rude people. And my turn-ons include silk sheets and a warm fireplace. Thank you very much, ma'am. We'll be on our... They make a good point on commentary that Homer does not notice he's moving <laughs> upwards as he's ta- as they're talking. And her bio is very much like a Playboy Playmate That's bio. That's what I love. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. Especially like silk sheets and warm, and warm fireplaces. <laughs> Like she totally the the sound of her voice makes it seem like oh god another one like yeah oh she's probably had a lot of uh former clients come up and be like hey what's going on and she's like oh god mm-hmm. i uh you know maybe her 
the the reason that sounds like a playmate of the month uh, bio is like she's been writing it in her head like oh if I can land that Playboy <laughs> deal I mean you know in 1990 getting me playmate of the month that is a rocket to superstar make your career yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah you'd be well I guess actually this is before Jenny McCarthy and Pamela Anderson but just a little just a little before and uh, yeah maybe maybe Homer is too distracted by her her showgirl outfit but uh, I mean she's uh, Shauna Tifton is uh, she's doing great like she's one of the key roles in that uh, that show I mean what's even happening at this old off ramp in it's like the greatest show in town there's like 30 yeah. different showgirls <laughs> the, that in like it has to be that theater is like dug into the ground yeah. because it's a one story outside it's, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean it's all underground <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, yes they start singing a song I could love a million girls as Homer is hanging and uh, Kashmir is seemingly trying to kill him. I think because she's she all she cares about is her job. She is very uh, career she's focused, very professional. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they sing the Randy Newman song. I could love a million girls. I feel really bad for the Klasky Chupo artists who were tasked with drawing a bunch of different uh, showgirls dressed up as other like small world style nationalities. Oh, this is a Randy Newman song. Uh, yes, that's uh, in the credits. It said I could love oh. a million girls by Randy Newman, sung I... by Homer and uh, by. Dan Kesselina, Sam McMurray. Oh, I can't believe that. I thought they were making up their own fake lounge song. I guess I never <laughs> went that far in the credits to see if this was a real song. I, I didn't do more research on it, but yes, it is, uh, it's a real song. It's, he's singing about what he sees. <laughs> girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sees girls from uh, a girl from Finland. He just saw her and then another one walked in. <laughs> but uh, but yes, the the song is interrupted by, uh, by Homer's fall, and uh, Homer then uh, recovers quite quickly. <laughs> My stage, fat boy. Hey, it's the guy from the picture. Ah! Homer Simpson. <laughs> Sorry, pardon. I didn't recognize you at first. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor to have a real swinging cat with us tonight. Homer Simpson, party guy. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Maestro. You a million girls, every girl that win. Yeah, I could love a Chinese girl and a smooth muffin. I could take a Deutschland chick, a girl with golden curls. In fact, I think that we could love <laughs> about a million girls. I love Homer being late on the uh, the, the <laughs> piano guys like giving him his cue. You yeah, know, like, like, he has to hit it three ding, times. Ding. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And Homer's very proud uh, of himself when he hits it. He's like, "Oh yeah, I know, I know this." Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> also, the uh, yes, the girls having to like walk in and out. Like this whole dance number feels like one of the most ambitious scenes in the series to date. Yeah, you know? like during the uh, the musical, like the part without lyrics. Sorry, the words are failing me now. But they're all like walking around. <laughs> him with like the feathers and like fanning him and stuff like a bunch mm -hmm. of different characters <laughs> and like this is where they sort of have to uh figure out like the conflict again where it's like oh no bart's watching homer and he thinks this is cool mm -hmm. but it's like it's the only time we really see that's having like that part comes in so late like yes. it hits in the yeah. third act when marge brings it up as like a possible problem <laughs> uh yeah it well it, it feels very good of homer to actually notice like oh bart's looking at me in a bit like he's learning the wrong lesson here. But here's the thing. Homer is the star of this stage show. It's it is cool. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And like they're having fun with him. It's not a bad thing. He's just a fun performer. Yeah. He is a, well, I mean, he is a party animal and he is acting like a swinger. It's true. Though it's weird. I mean, also that, again, that photo got so popular that everybody's like, uh, Springfield's number one swinger. Like, <laughs> it, it's, it's quite the leap, I would say. Yes. There's a lot of this episode makes a lot of assumptions and a lot of go straight to Homer being, for, for being laughed at to being popular so quickly is just, mm-hmm. as we talked about earlier, is so strange. The, uh, this, the Randy Newman song, if you look up his album, Ragtime, that's where I Could Love a Million Girls mm. comes from. Getting the vinyl now. Uh, though not, <laughs> not performed by him, performed by Donald O'Connor. Canceling so. my order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, Homer survives that fall very well. They make a good comment on the thing they're like they, they, everyone sees a man fall like two stories and then down the stairs and they're just like oh get that guy off stage <laughs> they should be freaking out and like leaving like yeah. what's ah! happening uh, again a more innocent time back then and uh and uh burns and smithers are on a double date with twins themselves they say like i i can love a million girls everyone a twin two of those twins are on a date with burns and smithers they're from the uh, robert palmer video you're right yeah simply irresistible i see it as uh smithers was uh sh- forced into a double date with burns here who's now like testing out homer's advice i guess <laughs> i guess he's i mean he is whining and dining them by t- but taking him out to this show i don't know this doesn't seem like the best date yeah I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> uh, though I don't know the showgirl thing. This seems more like something Smithers would actually like, just the uh, the pomp and circumstance of it, like the the old timey <laughs> performance of it. I think uh, Smithers would be into. <laughs> it reminds me of the showgirl sequence from uh, White Christmas. I don't know why that's my association. <laughs> the, just the the whole theatrical nature of it, mm-hmm. the uh, which really desexualizes a lot of these sexy ladies in their costume. Yeah. I think a better Smithers joke, if they had figured him out more, would be for him to like complain about how they're mangling this number, or yeah. like, oh, she was so yeah. off on that last step, or uh, whatever. The timing, yeah. come on, there. <laughs> yeah, these costumes could have been way better. So, yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, ch- uh, rewrite there, Bob. Punching them up, punching up thirty-year-old scripts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, Homer sees what Bart is uh, seeing, and he he knows he needs to change things with a big speech. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Stop the music! Quiet, please! I have something to say! Quiet! You with the hair, down in front! <laughs> oh, he sunk even lower! I have something to say to all the sons out there! To all the boys, to all the men, to all of us! It's about women and how they are not mere objects with curves that make us crazy. No, they are our wives. They are our daughters, our sisters, our grandmas, our aunts, our nieces and nephews. Well, not our nephews. They are our mothers. And you know something, folks? As ridiculous as this sounds, I would rather feel the sweet breath of my beautiful wife on the back of my neck as I sleep then stuff dollar bills into some stranger's g-string <laughs> am i wrong or am i right oh i just love the guy who goes bless the wives no, yeah. <laughs> bless the wives uh, i just I, I genuinely enjoy this speech i am mm. proud of him Oh, it's I I like it's written in a way that a stupid guy like Homer would stumble into a speech about the need to respect women so 
the next generation treats them better than they than his generation does. This feels like a relic of a different kind of uh, era. And I think we might have commented on it on an earlier uh, season one episode, but I feel like only until recently the people understand, oh, no, you have to love your partner you're yes. with. Yeah. It's not just like, I can't get away. I can't wait to get away from the old ball and chain. Oh, boy. Yikes. Mm. I think it's just like a recent invention. Like, you know what? Maybe I'll marry someone I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see a lot of like uh, tweets about like, like if you ever go on like r slash relationships and the comments half the time are like, I don't know why people marry these people they obviously hate. Yes, yeah. Sadly, it still goes on. I, I, I feel lo- like people marry a lot later now so they can figure themselves out a lot better. Yeah. yeah. You're not you're not stuck with a person who just had, uh, you know, the same locker room or the same like uh, class room as you, the homeroom. Um, yeah. friend now the well also like homer i think there's some good joke in homer saying like as ridiculous as it sounds i'd rather <laughs> yeah yeah that's great it's like well no that makes a lot of sense yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like that line i do like i like the nephews bit a lot yeah um, yeah well not our nephews <laughs> <laughs> he just he's just listing family members until he realizes no that doesn't that doesn't apply it's a good speech as written as somebody rambling, like yeah. just fig- figuring out what he wants to say in the moment. And then the like, Gulliver exit, exits the universe forever. I yes. like, you know, my mom sounded pretty down. I think I'll give her a call. And then yeah. he goes off to become Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> he really, he discovered his roots. Let's yeah, say. He, Gulliver he joins Tito Puente's band and it all worked out. Uh, but yes, I do have the final clip here of uh, all of the men realizing their mistakes and uh, sexism is, is over. Over after that. <laughs> Thank God. My wife gets the cutest little thing right here when she smiles. This is my Susie. Oh, so cute. Here's mine. Yes. You know, my mom sounded a little down the other day. I better give her a call. Oh, <laughs> they got out of that episode real quick yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, cut, they cut out so suddenly after that uh but i i like uh it, it feels like a very kid show thing for bart to be like ew parents kissing yuck like that again makes it feel like this is a show written with a child audience almost in mind than an, and an adult one there uh you know i said on the telltale head one it's i said oh there's not a moral to the story at the end of every episode but this speech is another of the hopes. yeah and the uh, the title is inaccurate homer had two nights out that's so. true <laughs> yeah. john Vitti, what are you doing man i think uh the end of homer's speech I think it was a rewrite because the mouth sync is all off. And so, and an improvement in the rewrite too, I would bet. Yeah. I did notice the sync was off a little bit. <laughs> Though the animation is so rough at this time, it could just be that it, yeah. it, it was the original lines, but yeah. Well, also there's a lot of times where princess cashmere or Shauna Distin will, will make a noise, but her mouth is not moving. I think they added, especially in her first dance in the in the episode. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Princess Cashmere, you see her around uh, from time to time in the backgrounds. She was uh, a part of the homewreckers with Jacques. Yeah, that's right. It, which is an unearned uh, place for her. I agree. Know? She was doing her job. Yeah. Uh, As <laughs> I think she's the one who like throws something at Jacques or something. I there's think she like, shoves him. There's like, the I think there's like an yeah. implied relationship between them or something <laughs> like that. 
and also she uh, she had some some fun nights with Apu, as we know from Lisa's oh, pony. Oh, that's right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Briefly, she she dances with Jacques in the uh, the uncontinuity do the Bartman music video. And she has the power to transform into Carl. That's right. The yes. Harvey Firestein Carl, <laughs> not the uh, Tank Azaria Carl. Yes. Or the Harry Shearer Carl for the. Oh no! Wait. No, he is Hank in this episode. Yeah. Oh no, he's Harry in this episode. That's right. He's okay, at the Flanders yes. voice. We yeah. figured it out. <laughs> it's been a long recording. Uh yeah. During a long week, and uh, uh, we really appreciate Kelly that you could be here for this. Do you have any final thoughts yourself? I do. I. I I said at the beginning that I liked this episode and it's been really cool to like critically look at it. I think that's one of my favorite things about being on this show is that I, I never really looked at the Simpsons critically. It is just something that is so beloved to me, but I will say that this was probably one of the first times I'd ever been introduced to this concept. Um, my, you know, my, my parents definitely didn't, you know, raise me with antiquated values or anything. My mom was, her whole thing was like, if you want to get married, if you want to have kids, you know, she was very, she wanted to, to be forward thinking uh, mm. with me, but to see something like this in media, this would, would have been the, one of the first times I was ever exposed to something like this. And I do think the Simpsons brand of feminism did inform at least a foundation for me. And so, yeah, I still, I still like that speech. I stand <laughs> by that. <laughs> Yeah. I, I like the themes this episode plays with, even if it, uh, you know, I think... Even if it struggles narratively. <laughs> it struggles narratively, and it feels... It doesn't quite connect the dots that well. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and a you lot know, of it, threads fall. It has a lot of problems, but there are some... I think there's some some good stuff in there. I, I think the 50% of women, as customers joke, is really good. <laughs> I, I definitely, as a teenager, that was my, my big thing, was that, you know, we're 50% of the population. <laughs> yeah, so... There's there's seeds of of goodness in there, and I I think for a first season episode as well, first first season of a show, I like the I just like the heartwarming stuff in The mm. Simpsons, even if it does get a little heavy handed. I um, yeah, I was gonna say like this is like a big bummer run in season one, but season one is much more melancholy and darker in like a mm-hmm. sincere way. So we get life on the fast lane, and then this so that's back to back like two vicious fights between Homer and Marge that almost disrupt their marriage, like um, infidelity almost with Marge's case, and then. Mm-hmm you know, broken promises with Homer and, you know, the the idea that he could cheat on Marge, I guess, yeah. is part of this. And then the next one, uh, Crepes of Wrath, is, we already recorded it, by the way, it is a <laughs> straight cold bummer, like stone yes. cold bummer. It is just like three episodes in a row, just like sad, sad, sad. <laughs> and then Krusty gets busted, which uh, is fun. So That is the yeah. light at the end of the tunnel of this dark time in Simpsons. I mean, in, in, well, I don't mean dark in like quality, but I do no. mean like in feel that you have. Yeah, I just like, I like that they go there, but man, like three in a row. <laughs> what were people in 1990 thinking? Like, boy, this show is depressing the hell out of me. <laughs> Definitely a, hey kids, could you lighten up a little moment? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I guess, yeah. Yes, thank you, Callie, for for taking the time uh, to to come back on the show. Yes. Yeah, thank you for having me back again. And please let us know where we can find you online and support your work. Well, I like you guys mentioned at the beginning, I work at GameSpot. I'm the reviews editor. So if you give a review a click, that directly helps me. But you can find me on Twitter at Inky Dojiko. I usually spell it out. I don't have to. Um, I want to change it. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I will tweet a lot about Pokemon there. Um, sometimes I you might see me liking political tweets but being too afraid to retweet them. Um, 
that's me. <laughs> well, and uh, you, uh, GameSpot has a podcast as well, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, you, <laughs> you're doing the plug better than I am. Uh, we have a, a podcast that's relatively new, GameSpot After Dark. We talk about what we're playing, the news, uh, but we're known for our tangents. And I have a really fun time on that show. I recorded it earlier today. Um, it's uh, up every Friday, basically on any podcast service you might have. Um, oh we're, man, we're your we're... second podcast of the day, boy! Thank you. That, I <laughs> appreciate that even more. I, uh, you know, once you get rolling, it's hard to to stop sometimes. So um, I'm on number yeah. two too. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm taking it easy today with just one, <laughs> just one three hour podcast, Henry. <laughs> Lazy. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, it's always a joy. So thanks again to Callie Plaggy for being on the show. Please check out all of her stuff. If you want to check out more of our stuff and support the show and get some extra cool rewards, please go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And if you sign up at the $5 level over there, you'll get access to everything behind that $5 paywall, but also every episode one week at a time and ad free of both talking Simpsons and what a cartoon. But the bonus stuff includes all of our limited miniseries. The last one we did was talking Futurama season two, part one, but coming very soon in April, we'll be doing talking mission Hill an exploration of the entire Mission Hill series done in the Talking Simpsons format. And it's only for $5 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. There's frankly too much to go into here as far as all the bonuses we have there. But I'll have Henry tell everyone out there what's happening at the $10 level. One extra long podcast every month that is all about a movie chosen by patrons. That's correct, Bob. If you want all that great $5 stuff and then something a little extra, for 10 bucks a month, you get access to our monthly What a Cartoon Movie, where we talk about a different animated feature film, sometimes for over four and a half hours, only for our premium patrons. This month, we just did SpongeBob SquarePants the Movie, the original planned finale for the Nickelodeon Kids cartoon, and we've done so many great ones before that. And if you want to hear one of the ones you're missing out on, you could hear the full version of the Aladdin What a Cartoon Movie for free on our Patreon. Learn all about that at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. So as for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast. Find that wherever you find podcasts. But if you want to support Retronauts and get some extra stuff on top of that, please go to patreon.com slash Retronauts. And if you sign up for $5 a month, you'll get two exclusive episodes that will only be on Patreon, two exclusive full-length episodes every month just for patrons. And again, that is patreon.com slash Retronauts. Henry, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. All your updates in the Henry Gilbert world are there at your fingertips. Plus, if you're following me on Twitter, you should follow the official Twitter account of this podcast, at Talk Simpsons Pod. That's at Talk Simpsons Pod if you want to stay in the loop whenever new stuff goes up on our free feeds or on the Patreon feeds. Follow them both on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We will see you next week for the Crepes of Wrath, and we'll see you then. Son, why are you wasting your time with this sleazy trash? Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Wait till I show the guys at work this little doozy. <laughs> Mike, this is Al. Just wanted to thank you for the informative memo you faxed me. Whoops, here comes the boss. Gotta go.